Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Stephen Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. I'm Matt Freeman. And we're pointing at the computer. <laughs> and Daniel can't see me pointing at the speaker we have I'm, here. I'm Daniel. <laughs> Hello. On, right on cue. Hey there, Daniel. Uh, the Daniel and Matt are the Freeman brothers. They have their show on um, the Doofcast, uh, Doof Media yeah. Network. Is that what it's called? That's right. Okay. Uh, they are also uh, guests here several times. We've talked to them about AI stuff before. Matt, about various things. He's in through the Denver rationalist scene. And we are here to talk about AI stuff yet again because there has been more advancements. Yeah, it was kind of funny because me and Daniel did a, a Freeman Bros episode the day after, or the, the day basically that the that one of the AI breakthroughs came out. And then literally like the next three days were just a series of more shocking AI breakthroughs. So mm-hmm. yeah. um now, now we get to conc- conclude that conversation properly, Daniel. Yes, yes. And we, we know we love to talk about AI stuff. No. What just... is the possibility that these four things got released all in a row like that just by coincidence? Like, do you um, think... I, I kind of think somebody <laughs> set this up. So I, I think, surprisingly, it, it might have been slightly coincidental. Uh, like, there, there definitely wasn't coordination among the, the people releasing most of these papers, but there was, like, a conference deadline coming up, I'm pretty sure, and that's that's mm. usually uh, why all of these things tend to cluster like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I know for... I, I do know that, like, at least three of these things were not coordinated at all, so... Just seems like if you want maximum shock value, you release everything all at once, and everyone's like, oh my god, all this happened at once, this is crazy. But I guess having yeah. a, a coordination date like that make a difference it's also like a lot of people working on the, the same sorts of things and there's sort of a, a friendly competition to do this type of stuff and it's almost an indicator that everyone's sort of neck and neck in, in the field doing this sort of work okay well we should probably talk about what it is that we're talking about uh what do which of these four do we want to hit first i don't know i i maybe it would make sense to do them in the order they were actually released is that um, was the DeepMind paper first, or was the um, I believe so. The DeepMind paper. So the DeepMind paper was first, and I'll just say the gist of it in one sentence. The gist of the DeepMind paper was that we've had all of these really impressive large language models, like GPT three, for example, um, and and everyone's rightly impressed by them. But what the DeepMind paper showed was we haven't been actually training these models sufficiently. Um, to sort of exploit the power that they're capable of. And so the main result there was they have this model chinchilla, which Daniel's going to correct me if I say anything wrong here, but chinchilla, I believe, is smaller than GPT-3, but better than GPT-3 because it was trained properly. Is is that correct? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's more or less. Like, it's about 70 billion parameters compared to 175 billion for GPT. And it was trained, uh, I think, about four times longer in terms of, like, number of tokens seen by by the the training procedure compared to gpt3 and this is like in their paper they kind of show that this is more or less the right amount of time one should train a model of that size implying that if you actually had something gpt3 sized you would need to train like a lot longer because it's bigger but it's kind of like you need to train longer the bigger your thing is uh, argument but all you would need to do and you wouldn't need to make new theoretical breakthroughs if you just train gpt3 a lot longer it would be much better um yes with an asterisk being that the training longer requires m- more data. Like usually the way these models are trained is they, they they kind of don't even see one entire pass of their training data because there's like so much training data. But at a certain point, you sort of exhaust all of the amount of training data that exists. And then you're, you're kind of have to pay a lot to generate more good training data. 
Um, but yes, like essentially for free, you you can train longer and get get better. More, more longer is more better, assuming you have <laughs> enough training data. And that's actually GPT-3 did this already. They have a, a V2 of GPT-3 that's the same size and quite better, quite a lot better than what they had before. Cool. Is that DaVinci, Daniel? Yeah, that's DaVinci V2 okay. is the, the, yeah. the good one. Cause so that... I, I don't think they use exactly the same scaling argument that Chinchilla did. The, I think I think sort of OpenAI figured this out and just didn't publicize it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of my... Uh, my, my pet theory, uh, and they just trained. I mean, it, it was sort of already clear from the first GPT-3 paper that GPT-3 wasn't trained to to convergence. Like, if you just look at the training curves, it like was off trend and clearly needed to go longer before it, it bottomed out. And they did that now, and now V2 is like quite quite good. Yeah, I, I've been playing with GPT-3 lately and realizing that it actually seems subjectively it seems better than the first time that I kind of took a, a stab at it when it first came out. I mean, it, it, it's still technically GPT-3, but it's performing a lot better. And I think it's mm-hmm. what Daniel just said is that they've trained it more. So it's actually closer to sort of the, the capacity of that network size. Is it good or bad that OpenAI is doing this? I've recently heard um, some anger at OpenAI for being too open and making too many tools available. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, or is that something we should get into later after we've covered more of these things? Yeah, maybe we should maybe we should have a separate Doom conversation. Okay, J- just because otherwise, like like Doom is um yeah. Well, let's bracket the Doom conversation. Doom's Doom a later. little distracting. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> that that is basically an improvement of the models we have right now. Yeah, it was essential. So so the the upshot, the way I would frame it, is is like not only not only can we get like superhuman level performance out of language models, we can get superhuman performance out of even smaller language models than we possibly could have imagined. Because Chinchilla, for example, smaller than GPT-3, outperforms the human baseline on, I, I think it was like 80 or 90% of the tasks that it was given wow. and in, it, in either zero shot or one shot um, context, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it had definitely one shot. Zero shot, all these things are garbage. Because yeah. There's, well, there's no... That's what are those two terms? What is what is the number of shots? Um, so z- so zero shot would be like um, you just ask it something out of the blue. You just say like uh, what's the atomic mass of carbon, um, and you expect it to give the right answer. Two, uh, one shot would be uh, you give it a prompt which says what's the atomic mass of of hydrogen one or atomic number. What's the atomic mass of carbon blank, and then and then it it sees what you're expecting and, and you can be, you know, you can be fairly, you can be very complex with this, but the point is you're kind of leading it to say, this is the structure of the answer that I expect. And then when it answers, it's much more likely to give you an answer that's kind of in the right form. Okay. Okay. That's well, awesome. A cute, a cute thing about this is you don't actually even have to give the answer correctly. Once you're, when you're doing this prompting, <laughs> you just have to clue it into the, the sort of thing you're asking about. This was a, a fun result that came up a couple of months ago. That's so you could, you could just, you can give it a question of like, as, as long as you're cluing it in on like, you know, atoms, like what is the atomic number of hydrogen? Fifty, and then you ask it something else about <laughs> atoms. It'll it'll tell you the right answer. It just didn't matter that you that you said the wrong thing. Okay, that strikes me as an interesting difference between like how people work. And I know that like we talked yeah. about yeah, yeah. Uh, see the previous episodes and all the stuff you guys talk about with GPT three to have a better understanding of how that generates answers. But as someone yeah. who watches all the trivia shows and get my hands on, it's fun to imagine what it would be like if humans had to work the same way because like. They just context shift all the time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, who won the Super Bowl in 1993 and who was Miley Cyrus married to? And if like, it sounds like GPT-3 might suck at that for a little while, maybe, but people can generalize. Okay. 
Yeah. So zero shot is a lot of you're doing a lot of the mental work for the thing at the beginning to start up. One shot would be because you're giving it or one, one, shot. one shot of context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But one thing, sorry, Daniel, I'm stealing your talking points. Mm-hmm. But but no, one no, one thing is like this is not a an AI that was created to answer questions. This is an AI that was created to predict the next text tokens, given text tokens, mm-hmm. and so you can't be too hard on it when it's like, ah, oh, it sucks at answering trivia. It's like, well, does have you have you let it know that it's answering trivia? Because if you've let it know that it's answering trivia, then it'll do a pretty good job at that. Um, yeah. Like, that's what's yeah. remarkable. It's, it's not like one of these, like, is it a cat or dog distinguisher AIs where it's, like, been trained specifically on this task. It's been trained on the most general task imaginable, which mm-hmm. is internet text. <laughs> um, <laughs> predict what text would come next. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 yeah. and there's all kinds of, there's like a barrel of tricks to make these things even better. So the first thing people did was like one shot, two shot, five shot, 10 shot, like give, give it more shots and, and typically giving it more shots makes it better at doing whatever you're trying to do. But then people got even more clever and were like, well, have it, have it just give a running monologue of what it's thinking about. So like you can, you can give it a one shot example of like solving a problem where maybe it's like an algorithm where you're sorting something and you kind of annotate in, in that context of like, all right, now I'm moving, I'm moving this number here because this number is is bigger than this number. So if you like provide this this inner monologue to the context, it actually makes it way better at doing stuff too, because you're you're actually being even more specific about what you're wanting the model to do. And of course, the model can do it; it just doesn't know that you want it to do that until you tell it. So is that what they did? A, the new dark art. Is that what they did with the Google Pathways Learn language module when it explained jokes that they gave it that thing, um, that context first? I think. I think the 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 task probably included one example of of like explaining a joke, and then that was that was enough to kind of clue it into what. It, I, I don't think they actually had it uh, explain its thought for that particular. Okay, I think it's it's that that, that model is just like really. Good. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a good segue because isn't that the next paper that came out? Yeah, yeah, the Palm Palm model. So so the. I don't know how familiar the average Bayesian conspiracy listener is with with these materials. Probably extremely, um, but I, I I wanted to, you know, I wanted to read one of my favorite examples, um, which I'm having to find in real time, which is it's just great audio. But I have a bunch of them up. Yeah, I, I just anyone anyone that you like because I just think they're all amazing. Sure, this is the same one I read on the Mind Killer because you are right; they're all amazing. But the input uh, was I was going to fly to visit my family on April sixth. My mom said, oh, great, your stepdad's poetry reading is that night. So now I'm flying in on April 7th. The output by the language model was, the joke is that the speaker's mother is trying to get them to go to their stepdad's poetry reading, but the speaker doesn't want to go, so they're changing their flight to the day after the poetry reading. Which, like, how do you output that without understanding what the fuck is going on in the joke? The thing is, even if you do, like, a human five-year-old would struggle with, yeah. you know? Like, at least struggle to articulate yeah. it that succinctly. Yeah. That's, yeah. Do, do you happen to have the Ninja Turtles one pulled up? I think that's my actual one. Ooh, uh, hold on a sec. I do. Let me pull that up. Okay. So, input. <laughs> Michael is at that really famous museum in France, looking at its most famous painting. However, the artist who made this painting just makes Michael think of his favorite cartoon character from his childhood. What was the country of origin of the thing that the cartoon character usually holds in his hand? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Model output. The most famous painting in the Louvre is the Mona Lisa. The artist who made the Mona Lisa is Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci is also the name of the main character in the cartoon Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Leonardo da Vinci is from Italy. The thing that Leonardo da Vinci usually holds in his hand is a katana. The country of origin of the katana is Japan. The answer is Japan. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh... 
that's that's wild right yeah Wait, that, did it say- this isn't even a trivia bot like this this wasn't designed to do this mm-hmm. I, no, no. That, that, no, that's no, no. The, it was just trained on next token prediction. I know that that's the part that just blows my fucking mind. Like next token prediction. I know we talked about this before and I just, I didn't read the requisite books to really properly grok it. But like, I just look at like the text predict on my phone and I'm when I'm writing a mess, you know, a text, right. And I can click the thing and I can say the, and it says, Oh, DM shows up. Cause I use that word a lot when I'm typing my phone can also help you for a little more time, etc." So like that to me, that's what text predict means. Right. But that's, yeah. that's not what a token is in this sense. Cause there's no way that's going to get, first of all, that's not responding to a prompt. Right. Mm. I, I will give it the first jumping off word. Right. But yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a silly little Markov model that knows what the last thing you typed was probably. And, and thus, picks the the next most probable word conditioned on the last word but yeah the, the reason these models are so powerful is because they're attending to the entire previous context window which might be up to like you know 2000 or 4000 tokens which is like actually a lot of text and and thus a lot of kind of room to smuggle computation can i read the one written first that someone is on a plane sure yeah that's a fun yes. one input jennifer looked out her window and sees a really cool cloud below her she unbuckles her seatbelt and heads to the bathroom. Is Jennifer probably traveling more than 300 miles per hour relative to the Earth? 300 miles per hour is about 400 kilometers an hour. This is, this is, here's the answer now. 300 miles per hour is about 400 kilometers per hour. This is about the speed of a commercial airplane. Clouds are usually below airplanes, so Jennifer is probably on an airplane. The answer is yes. I Like, plane wasn't mentioned anywhere in there. You had to get that entirely from the context of the question. This is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so I'm, I'm going to be a little, little provocative and just say, like... Either this is an AGI, or the stuff that's keeping this from being an AGI is basically glue and 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 bailing wire to, to sort of like connect it up to various other gizmos and gadgets that that would make it into sort of an agent. In fact, the next thing, maybe not the next thing we're going to talk about, but the 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 um uh, Socratic Socratic model? the Socratic thing, which I don't necessarily think we should stop talking about Palm yet because it's pretty cool by itself. But the Socratic mm-hmm. thing is kind of an example of how you would turn it into an AGI. Um, yeah. With the but we did we didn't talk we didn't say like so so Palm is much bigger even that Palm is the biggest thing yet, right? It's half a trillion parameters, right? Yeah, it's five hundred forty billion. Um, which is which is a lot, and 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 by the way, it hasn't been trained to the saturation point that the DeepMind chinchilla paper indicates. So it could actually be way better even than what you were just reading. Um, yeah. How- so given, given the scaling arguments in the chinchilla paper, it would take a kind of hilarious amount of training data to actually train um, Palm to chin. Do we know how cherry picked these are? Cause I heard they aren't very, but like if like you put that input in a thousand times, you could maybe get that output one out of a thousand, right? Oh no, they're much better than that. <laughs> they're, they're uh, these are, probably like 70th percentile responses like like maybe three out of ten times you get something um better than this seven out of ten times you get something close to but not quite as good as this does that make sense like this is this is pretty typical for these model outputs is what i'm trying to say yeah like personally i like i've only really played with gpt3 but gpt3 is is much inferior to palm but it's still um pretty dang good like it's gpt3 rarely just says something completely stupid unless you've prompted it in a way where where that is an understandable consequence so so i i would be surprised if if the palm results were super cherry picked um and the other thing you can do with these models by the way 
is like you can you can feed into you can feed in as an input what it, what it just said and be like how much sense does this make and it can be like you know not a lot because because like that's the thing is it's sort of I, I may be anthropomorph anthropomorphizing it too much but like it'll it'll fill in the blank with something even if it kind of doesn't know what the hell's going on and it in some in some you know hand wavy sense knows that it doesn't make sense it's just it's just like this is all this is all i got you know mm-hmm. and then you you know like i said you feed it back on itself and say does that make sense as an answer and it'll say like no that's nonsense but because because it just it's not it's not a reflective you know uh, agent with with consciousness and it's not you know it's not concerned about whether you're going to think it's stupid or whatever like it, it's just kind of doing what it does when it gives a good answer does it know that it was a good answer I have not not actually tested this you know robustly, but I I think so. You know, I think I think you can ask it. For example, one thing I've been playing with recently is is saying like, um, how confident are you in this? Express that in a number value, and kind of trying to get it to um, trying to query to see what level of confidence it associates with with different statements that it that it makes. And um, because like it's not like it has a uh, uh, well, that, that, that's the question I was trying to answer, actually, is I was like, does this thing have sort of an implicit Bayesian reasoner inside of it somewhere that, mm-hmm. that, that you could find by prompting it correctly? And I, ha- I haven't really concluded one way or the other, honestly, but it's a it's a fun line of uh, investigation that I'm playing with. Yeah, and, I mean, you can also, like, just fine-tune the thing. Like, if you if you have examples of, of stuff that you want it to become good at, you can just train it, like, a little bit more to, to do that kind of thing, and then it, you know, becomes way better at that kind of thing. So it's it, it sort of... I'm not sure where people fully sit on this yet because it's like, well, look, look how far we can make these things without even doing any task specific fine tuning. But when you do happen to put that on top, you you very quickly kind of zoom in on and are able to create capabilities that are kind of crazy. Like, how does it get the context of this person is probably on an airplane? I guess we see how it got it the context. Flying, it, right? Yeah, it, it's it spelled out how it got there, but it just seems so crazy to me that it could put together all these different things that. It must know in some way that yeah, weren't I guess the way the I question. think about it is is like um, you know when when you as a human hear something, there's sort of like two seconds or so during which things just kind of burst out of your brain that you don't really have control over. There's there's sort of just the 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 immediate associations that you have upon hearing any concept, and, and that's sort of my mental model for how this thing is. It's just like a really good association machine where it has ingested the entirety of like available human knowledge and is able to kind of play free association with whatever context you give it and can do about as well as a human can in about two seconds of doing that and seen that way it's like yeah if you if you see someone talk like these things are all things that make sense to us immediately and that's that's about the grain size of of things that this model can pick out is things that a human can can freely associate and create text from over a few seconds so we've basically created ai that is as good with information association as we are. Yeah, or, or better. Or better. <laughs> okay. This Fortunately, tell, that's not everything. Tell me, tell me if this is out of order, because this just seemed like a good, good time to bring in overcoming biases. Uh, or do you want to save that till the end? You know what? Go ahead. Because basically the... Robin um, Hansen disagrees. Yeah, the, the Palm uh, example here, or examples that we just read, seem to hit the exact like critique that he wants. And it seems like... I haven't been following his take on AI that closely, um, obviously, you know, for the last years. But is it just me or is he keep moving the goalposts? Like, oh, no, this would convince me. Well, no, that doesn't count. I want it to be this. Um, well, what is it that he said that you're referring to? Well, so in this one, um, he's talking about uh, basically he wants um, he wants to see the internal monologue. And I, A, I don't know why that's necessary. Um, 
especially if all you want is an answer. But B, we're getting that. Yeah. It, it explains how it arrived at, at Leonardo or, or Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, what more does it want? And he, in the one quote, it says, and yet it still basically babbles. It seems it's not remotely up to the task of thinking together with a human. If you talked with it for a long time, you might well find ways that it could help you. But still, it wouldn't think with you. And... First off, Wait, Robin, Robin made this argument. Robin Hanson. Yeah. And, and Babbles. He's like a guy about, okay. Yeah. So, so Babbles is in quotes. This is a silly argument. Babbles is. <laughs> Why is this a silly argument? I mean, it's like you could, you could levy exactly the same argument against a human. That's like, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> like so, where, where do your thoughts come from? Right. Robin? Like, where, can I see, can I see what gives rise to your thoughts? My other thing uh, that, that made me think that he's goodness. seems like he's reluctant to update on on this is that babbles is in quotes because it links to a post from five years ago mm. which is like what 20 years in ai time <laughs> right. yeah did we have uh alpha go five years ago no yeah so i mean we've we've come quite a ways and as far as i'm concerned it doesn't matter if like the thing is quote thinking with me i don't even know what that means it like if it's if it's helped me solve a problem i don't care what it's doing like you know one way to help me solve a problem when i'm at work is i can talk to like a a coworker or b a little rubber duck that sits on my desk and I explain the problem that I'm having and it's a coin toss of whether or not that'll help. But all that does is like help me articulate the problem. So like the duck, right. It's not helping, but if it was soundboarding ideas back at me in a way that was getting me closer to the answer, I don't care what it's doing. If it's a coworker or a robot, it seems like it's doing the job. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what his actual critique is here. Yeah. Also a quick correction. Yeah, yeah. Apparently AlphaGo was seven years ago because yeah. I'm old now, and time all really? compresses when you get older. <laughs> That's surprising to me. Uh, the wow. match, let's see, match against Fan Hui was in October 2015. Wow. When the distributed version of AlphaGo defeated European Go champion. Although that wasn't Lee Sodal. Uh, the oh. big one that we all heard about, Lee Sodal, was on March 2016, so six years ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, but I think GPT-2 wasn't even... Like I, I remember us no, playing that was like with GPT- 2020 almost. Yeah, yeah, that, that that was much more recently. That was we were playing with GPT two in a less wrong meetup. That wasn't too long ago. Uh, and, it was created February 2019. Probably didn't you know, yeah become more widespread till a little bit after and, that. And that was a general. That was not even close to as capable as GPT three. So yeah, um, yeah, I I, I I I I'm just it was just funny to me because I I um I sent Daniel you know a tweet that Hanson. You know, what Hans- was- H- Hansen goes. I want to hear when outsiders are able to test this system and show more typical results. Um, and I and I saw that tweet, and I literally just burst out laughing alone in my house because I was like, "This is this is the sign of a man who doesn't want to believe something." Yeah. Because um, you're playing with it at your house, right? Yeah. Yeah. He. Right. He, there's no reason he can't be. I mean, interacting well, not with palm. It. No, not, oh, not, not palm. Not, not but- palm, but but still. Well, here's the funny thing. Like, I get sucked into arguments with people on the internet because I'm an idiot who who does that. <laughs> And it's like 90, like 100%, really, honestly, 100% of the time, if they're being, you know, pessimistic about, um, you know, oh, these, these, these AIs aren't really, aren't really all that. I'm, I always find out like, oh, they don't even know what they're capable of. Like, they're just literally haven't been playing with the, the newest whatever, you know? Uh, Steven, the, the Hanson post or comment or whatever you were talking about, what was he um, saying that? trying to think how to phrase this what 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 is he kind of comparing this to like his ideal version was he saying like you know this isn't really thinking or this isn't useful or that this isn't a real agi or honestly and i i read this a few days ago but at a quick like glance at memory i can't remember what he was actually what his actual point was um it just seems like uh he's like this isn't real language um 
because it's not like doing concrete mental tasks. Um, and then if you're figuring says, out what, what, the, what the dude holds in his hand, I think it seems a mental, mental task. I, I would think I would seems, have had to work, to work a bit to get to that and because I, it's such a convoluted question. Yeah, I know, what right? What do you mean by mental? Like... Yeah. And he, he puts in quotes, useful inner monologue. Like that is, it would start talking to itself and keep talking definitely, continually updating its representations from the data of its internal monologue. It seems to be doing. Oh that. yeah. This is, this is a thing. I mean, I've seen this argument in a couple of different forms of like, these things are not intelligent because they're like static objects that can't like update on things that they've picked up on. And it's, it's sort of a, a weird argument because is that really a condition for being able to do things intelligently? Like you can imagine you know, me, if I lost all of my memory, but I just like kept doing things, I would still be able to do many things. And given a limited scratch space, I could even hold things in short-term memory, like for example, 1,000 tokens or so of of short-term memory, and be able to do all kinds of things that require air quotes intelligence. So I I, I do feel it like it's a kind of moving the goalposts sort of statement of like, all right, well then just give it give it some memory, and now it can adapt to things. It sounds like air quotes learn from them. So I, I, yeah, I I I guess I, I it's hard for me to even steel man this because it's like that just doesn't even seem like a real objection to me. Yeah. So he's saying that since we control what it learns it's not real i don't know if he goes so far to say that but he, he says that i'll sit up and take notice when the main improvements to systems with impressive broad language abilities come from such inner monologues like i described before or from thinking together on other useful tasks his his main thing too is like collaboration mm-hmm. i'm like what, what do you need collaboration for if you can talk with yourself a thousand times a second um but the that will look more like systems that have learned how to think when such abilities work across a wide scope of topics, that will look more to me like the proverbial artificial general intelligence, in quotes. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what he thought it wasn't that he was arguing with there, and it sounds like just, it's not enough to impress me. Yeah. It sounds like he <laughs> wants like two models to speak to each other, and you can use the input from the other model as your own to train yourself on? I don't know exactly what he wants, but if I mean, if, if he wants collaboration amongst these things, yeah, you set up two and have them talk at each other. I mean, the right? thing is, I mean, it, it does sound like he, he actually wants, he's sort of sketching to be extremely charitable. It seems like he, he's, he's sketching his idea of what an AGI would look like, which, yeah, I, I agree. You can't yet like point GPT-3 at another copy of GPT-3 and have it like foom. You, you have to, there are, there are steps between what we have today and actual self, uh, recursively self-improving intelligences, but... I just I disagree with his framing of you have to have an internal monologue that updates on itself because we had that we have that and we call them philosophers and they're notoriously sucky. <laughs> like, when you update on nothing but your own thoughts, you can go into some shitty rabbit holes that have nothing to do with reality. As long as you can intertwine them with the physical world, still you can get improvements. And uh, we don't let the language models do that because we decide what it gets from the outside world, right? right? He also takes a pot shot at me in this. He says that. <laughs> So, so they can learn well. They can learn well to say the next small thing in such a conversation, but they seem to be failing to infer the deeper structures that support shared thinking among humans. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's that's me half the time. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm contributing to a conversation, but I have no idea, you know, <laughs> what you're saying. Right? Like, for well, example, the last half hour. <laughs> well, what's funny to me about his position is I'm like, I guess I agree, but I feel like we're like we're either six months away from having what he's describing, or maybe we have it, but in different places. Like there are, there are systems that are sort of like large language model like systems that have a memory that that they have like sort of a long-term memory that, that, where they can sort of like cache information and then retrieve it from. Um, That's not how these particular ones that we're talking about work, but um, it's a concept that's out there and, and that's being used. It's not like that would require some new breakthrough. That's it's totally 
actually being done. Um, and you know, I, another thing I would say is just like me, me and me with a sheet of paper and a pencil are two very different entities in terms of how intelligent, like, like if I have a piece of paper and a pencil, I can do calculations that I can't do in my head. Um, I can, I can even just do the simple task of like writing out everything that I know about the problem and then looking at it, which is itself similar to like letting GPT noodle and then feeding that back in as context, mm -hmm. right? Which is the, the train of thought thing. Um, th that's actually why I like to write essays and endless wrong posts and such is because like, that's a way of advancing your thinking on a topic that you can't just do sitting in your chair. Yeah. So these are all the things like, it, it's like, yeah, I mean, I agree. Those are, those are actually bootstrapping tools for intelligence, but those aren't hard to implement <laughs> relative to what has already been implemented in the form of the large language model. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, I want a flying machine people can sit in and it's like, well, no, it needs to have windows. Otherwise it doesn't count. And it's like, we can do windows. That's that's we we did the hard part. We got we got they got the thing in the air, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Why why is why is your goal plus now like windows or like a certain speed or something? Like the hard part was getting this thing off the ground. Yeah. We've got something that can fly made out of metals that sink in water. Like uh -huh. th that that's the impressive bit, right? Yeah. So the next one was the next one uh, uh, Socrates or Socratic what is it called? What's it called? What am I talking uh, about? Socratic. I? I don't know if that came first or Dolly 2 came first. I I saw Dolly 2 first. I'm not sure if it came first, but I saw it before that one. Yeah, that was the first one I saw. How big of a deal is that? You're the artist, visual artist type in the room. That's a pretty big deal. Because uh, I have no idea when I see that. Like, is is that good? I mean, I'm impressed, but how yeah. does this compare to humans? Favorably. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's better than I can do. Let me put it that right. way. Um, it's still a little unnerving, but an artist could go in and I mean, yeah, like doing concept art for movies or video games. There's often this speed painting technique where you do bash. That's actually called bashing. Um, you use photo reference, you smash them together, you quickly paint over it, and change the lighting effects and whatnot. I mean, this could skip a lot of that. And even to make like a finished piece, yeah, like I'm looking at some of these and it's like, oh, I could easily fix the uncanniness by just painting over like a few parts. I spoke to an artist friend who who does it for a living. He uh, makes magic cards for Watsi, uh, among other things. So you know, uh, I'm impressed with him. And he says that. It's good. It's not good enough to replace a human yet, in his opinion, because it can't do certain things like uh, evoke emotion by having people looking in a certain way that's evocative of, of something that's happening in the scene. I'm like, okay, that's that's true. That's well and good for high art. But like, what about all the guys that are just out there illustrating a magazine cover for, you know, the, the latest Asimov's magazine or whatever, right? Like, it doesn't have to be hugely evocative or anything. It's just like, dinosaurs in space, go. And if before you were getting three, four hundred dollars for something like that, and it can be replaced by doll E, that, that seems like it's a problem for a lot of working artists, right? Well, and also like, you know, give me a definition of, of evoke emotion reliably, right? Like, there, I think that that varies from human to human and fr probably from time of day to time of day, right? Mm -hmm. Like, here's one that I'm finding impressive. If you go to, if you click like OpenAI slash Dolly or whatever, um, it's, it's giving you like a picture of a museum with two paintings in the background and then a little mat in the foreground. Uh, or yeah and so you can select a location to add a corgi and if you do one or two it's in one of the paintings in the background if you do three it's in the foreground it in the background of every one or rather in the in the first two where it's in a painting the the, the style of corgi matches the art of that painting and the one in the foreground is always a real one like a, a cropped real dog mm -hmm. because it's it's not a painting so it's it it's aware like okay this has this kind of uh aesthetic to it and it matches that yeah. right yeah. I don't know what feelings are when you're talking about art, but like <laughs> it, it's matching the 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 vibe, right? 
Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think this is a, this is a thing that we we're not good with words about because we're humans and we don't have words that can actually describe how our brains work satisfyingly. Um, but it, it's, it's sort of this, this, I, I've seen this, the statement, like, you know, I, I don't like this thing because it, it doesn't, it doesn't have any contact with real humans or real human emotions, or it's like, it doesn't, doesn't come from, it's not about anything because it's not tied to something in the real world or, or, or these, these sorts of arguments. But you're it's articulating like, my gripe with art as a, as a, <laughs> as an enterprise altogether. Yeah. <laughs> so like, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that it's valuable to people and paintings are cool or whatever, but like that, I, that, that's just. I feel like you're saying all these things that I could say about, like I'm looking at, uh, what's that touch and whatever you use the back of the, the paintbrush to do art. It's Tilt, this, tilt brush? Yeah, it's, the, it's this one. You know, the thing I'm talking about? Okay. I'm showing the people in the room. Oh, you mean else. stippling? The what? Stippling or pointillism. Yeah. Right, pointillism. So oh. it's that one of like the people by the lakeside, right? And it's it's generating different versions of that, just like given the prompt and it's making making new ones. They're just different scenes of a park by lake. And it's like this, these are all this, these all have the exact same value to me as the first one, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, so I, to, to again, be hopelessly charitable, like I, I think there is something to the statement that like human, human art may be privileged because it is connected to things in the world and thus has like a referent from, from which a, a piece is created. But at the same time, like I'm actually completely okay with saying that machines can approximate this perfectly and, and thus create things just as meaningful uh if if by themselves or by in in use by another human so like i I see no contradiction here i think some people do feel like they they see these machines making things that air quotes look as good as what human artists can do and they're like oh but it is missing the referent in the real world and it's like well that's that is one component of art if you demand that it be so in in your definition of art but there's also another component which is just like being able to execute on the idea and have an understanding of concepts in space and by golly, Dolly is nailing that really, really well. So, like, I, I think the, the delta between what Dolly Two is and like air quotes real art is 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 no longer important as, yeah. as far yeah. as I can tell. I totally agree. Like, first of all, if you're talking about the idea of like if I wanted to use this as an art tool, it seems like you could definitely have an image of what you want the thing to be in your mind or even something vague like because i'm you know just clicking through the text and it's like i don't know an astronaut in vaporwave style riding a skateboard or something and then like no make it pink or whatever but then also just clicking through the random text prompts is generating stuff that's entertaining me (laughs) me too so like you know just because a a thinking quote-unquote mind you know didn't have some plan for this Mm -hmm. i don't know like there's an extent to which our art is often i don't know i have like a friend who's a traditional oil painter and their uh technique is often to just sort of scratch something on the canvas like they think about some vague thing and then they just start developing it as they go and continue to use the happy accidents to make something so like that's also kind of randomly generated or like yeah i i'm not even sure uh how to articulate the thing i'm trying to say like am i am i gonna feel van gogh's suffering looking at this awesome thing that was generated by the prompt of give me a bowl of soup that is a portal (laughs) to another dimension as digital art like this looks amazing yeah and i I, this is this fits that perfectly and it's thought-provoking it's fun to look at this this i don't know this is art as far as i can tell what's funny is is like we've we've all converged on a conversation that we that we should be shocked that we're having in the first place, which is basically, is this better than the best living human artist or not? Which is not like, like I've, I've enjoyed sketching my entire life. I've practiced sketching my entire life. 
all of my sketches look like trash compared to like the worst thing that you see this thing put out, right? Like it's better than, it's like top 0.01% human artists in terms of speed, not even a contest. Cause even the best human artist is going to take hours to make something that looks that, that nice. So like, yeah, the, the, you know, I, I, what are, what are, it, it clearly gets what we want from it in a, in a, in a, in a superhuman way by any definition of that word. Um, do you, do you remember, I think it was Eliezer, Eliezer that said uh, the, the whole like triangular light bulb thing. Yeah. Like a, yeah. a sign of, of super, like I, I just, I, again, it's like pointing out how the goalposts have moved. Wait, what is the triangular yeah. light bulb thing? I believe, I believe he, yeah, what's funny is I don't remember the context, but I believe he was making some point about like, um, you know what a light bulb is, you know what a triangle is. And if I say triangular light bulb to you, then you kind of immediately imagine something. And what's interesting is everybody sitting in this room might be imagining something slightly different. Um, or, or, or very different even like maybe you have a, a, a fluorescent bulb going in a triangle shape, or maybe you just have an incandescent bulb that, that is itself a, a pyramidal shape, etc. And it's like, well, you did that unconsciously, like, like your brain just threw something up and you didn't even think about the fact that it could have been otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's that sort of like ad libbing, um, automatic generation of mental content that we do all the time. I, th- I honestly, what's funny is I think that was more in like a human rationality context where he was talking about how our brain is populated with thoughts and we don't actually think about the fact that we have no idea where they came from. Um, but, <laughs> but also as an example of something that, that was hard for uh, any, any existing algorithms. Wow. And now uh, so for some simple. reason I, uh, I combine these things in my mind is like, if we could do that, then that would be impressive. It's like, well, yeah, we it is impressive. Yeah. It is. I mean, that was, I think the point I was trying to say before and I was not articulating very well is it can do creativity as well. Cause there's an extent to which creativity is randomness. I mean, creativity, teddy bears working on new AI research underwater with 1990s technology. (laughs) It gives me half a dozen different pictures and they're wearing little scuba helmets. You know, it's clear that they're underwater working on computers like this. This is uh, this is exactly what you're talking about. The triangular light bulb, right? Except way more complicated than a triangular light bulb. Maybe the the meta level point here is that I think there's a class of criticisms that are actually never going to be satisfied independent of how good this thing ever becomes so you could get your dolly four or five where you are like make a make a movie in the style of the matrix um but in iambic pentameter set in the year 2058 and like it and even if such a thing could generate a movie there is a an entire class of criticism that's like ah but this this was not made by a human with reference to reality and and feeling and that's true but it kind of stops mattering after a <laughs> like, certain threshold. I think. Was was Jupiter rising made with any reference to reality or human emotion? I don't know. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. I'm like, a lot of you know, art was for profit anyway. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I think to, to riff on what you were saying a bit ago, Jace, like, like so much of art is just somebody taking something that was basically random, some some source of, of chaos and entropy and, and inspiration that they can't claim responsibility for mm-hmm. and turning that into the art. Like the more I learn about film, the more I realize that like so many of the coolest things about film were literally like an accident that they were like, oh, that actually looks kind of cool. <laughs> and then they and then they used it. Right. And like that's that's like we we really are a kind of creature that just mimics and and so by default the only way you're going to inject true creativity into something is by incorporating accidents or randomness, which is also what the AI is doing. I am fascinated to see if this can also generate new, hmm, if it can create kind of new genres of art. Like one of the things it mentions is in vaporwave style, and it's like something relatively new, but 
if you know what it is, you know what it looks like. And I'm wondering, like, if it doesn't have a reference for something, though, just by bashing enough things together, random accidents, will it create new weird stuff? Is, yeah, I, I, I'm only looking eyeballs. at the mobile version of this website. Is there a way for me to play with the Dolly prompts myself, or do I have to pay for that? Uh, you can sign up. I signed up. Um, I don't, haven't heard anything back yet, though. Because I'm wondering, the third prompt, you know, give me uh, whatever, aquatic dogs, um, whatever, building a, 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 give me the third thing, you know, building furniture in a style of art that no one has seen before. I want that to be my third parameter, right? Ooh, yeah. Like, if I did that, would it give me the new style? Uh, it seems like it kind of knows what like it would see if i'm i've you know I, I have no idea what's going on under the hood with this thing but you know it, it's yeah, like okay if, let me grab three if, different if, kinds of art and smash them together right if i if i had to guess like um that that would be a hard ask just because of how much of artistic style is sort of a sociological phenomenon where like it's it's cluing in onto style based on having gajillions of examples of of people having made things in particular styles and I think, if, if anything, it, it will itself be a progenitor of a style, which is, you know, machine-assisted art. Like, in the same way that Deep Dream-style art is kind of a, a style, which was coming from an earlier uh, machine learning algorithm for art that kind of made these trippy, psychedelic, recursive bubbles of, of concept. You, you've probably seen these where it's like a picture of dogs that are, like, recursively dog at all scales, and it looks yeah. kind of terrifying. Yeah. That, that was all the rage, like, five years yeah. ago. Yeah. So, like, that, that's what I meant. Like, art that is, like, uncannily good at mixing concepts together but still is like just slightly off is probably the style that this thing is creating and and will will have one one thing that i bet it can do although i have no proof of this is that i bet if you were like um do it in the style of you know vaporwave but also gothic cathedrals like like it, yeah. it it'll yeah, yeah. like because of the way it compresses everything to a latent representation i bet that there's this there's it'll just find the point on the space between gothic and vaporwave and then something interesting is going to come out of that i don't know if it would be what a human would expect necessarily um but what would you expect if you asked for those two things right so yeah. that, that's the thing is maybe you have something in mind you're right but like well what i was oh, oh sorry, i'm saying it give you some if, if i if i commissioned a human with only that information it might i probably won't get what's in my mind either right i'll get yeah. whatever's in theirs mm, yeah. yeah i think jay said this earlier but like the, the idea that you could just use this to flesh out an idea is very, very on point. Like you, you could sketch something out and then have Dolly two finish it. <laughs> like, right. Or the other way around, that, have this it is totally, generate the yeah. concepts for it. Cause yeah. I always struggle with yeah. that. Like yeah. when I'm doing a piece, uh, I mean, yeah, like you get the best results by doing more thumbnails and more iterations, but like eventually you stop because you're just exhausted and you're like, all right, I pick that one or whatever, when but it the- could be like generate, you know, uh, generate 50 thumbnails of this one idea. And then you can keep like, yeah, just speeding up that whole process. Um, composition. One of the things that both either scares me or makes me hopeful, I'm not sure which, is how quickly it can do this. Because with art, a lot of the thing is you just you don't know what's going to be good and what's going to be bad. You just do it and you put it out there and you see how it goes. And that's why some of the you know most famous uh, artists are people who have a ton of content. And a lot of it is crap, but... Some of it's just genius. And you're like, holy shit. And they're like, yeah, I don't know, man. It came out really good. And uh, <laughs> if you can generate like thousands of these per hour, you could pick out just the good ones and, and get rid of the humans. Yeah. Well, one one idea that I, again, I don't exactly know that this would work because I, cause I, like most people, have never actually played with this system. But, you know, you have a concept and you say, you know, generate 50, generate 10, 10 examples of this. And then you pick your favorite. And then you have some kind of system where you're like, all right, 
10 more like this one and then it does that and then you're like you pick your favorite 10 more like this one and then you pick your favorite 10 and then you just like refine and and, and may, you know maybe maybe it's taking smaller steps in the latent space or something as you go I, I don't know I, I would have to think about it but you end up like like narrowing in on on something that's like exactly what you want and then you know maybe you still have to touch it up but you know conceptually speaking it would be you'd be walking through the space of possible interpretations mm-hmm. um yeah this this that's what i was thinking of when you were describing what you just said jace too with the 50 thumbnails it made me think of uh i don't know what it was called richard dawkins wrote that little computer program in like in the 80s oh where the, it was like natural selection the little evolution one that was just uh yeah generating like sort of pixels but they are started eventually resembling animals because of the well or, or, insects you, or something. you could select for whatever trait and you're like oh this one has lots of legs or like longer legs i'm going to click the one with longer legs every time and it's going to just keep making you know more kind of semi-random but then you get one with really long legs at the end of it this would be kind of like that but with a lot more actual well i was going to say thought but some people, <laughs> someone, someone might someone might draw contention with that <laughs> uh with with a lot more work behind it than what you know Richard Dawkins could smash together in the eighties, right? Should we go on to the Socratic modeling then? Wait, uh, I just wanted to say that what I was talking about earlier about like generating new art styles too, because I just looked up vaporwave and it says it's like nineties aesthetic, uh, surrealism, Japanese text, glitchy visuals, chromatic aberration, and tropical themes. So I wonder if you could just describe a bunch of random stuff. <laughs> like, that's what I want to play with with this. Like, okay, like 1930s, you know, magazine art, but give it a goth twist and then make it rainbow hued or something. Uh, I, bet, yeah. I, bet, I bet it would work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sounds so much fun. I could just entertain myself forever with that. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's all. All right. Socratic modeling. This one blew the fuck out of me. <laughs> um. I'm not okay. This one blew me away. I'm sorry, didn't didn't mean that. Uh, how it sounded. Um, not yet, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> not, not until they make the the gynoid models of the Socratic. Uh... That is the ultimate end state for humanity. If they that have is the robot bodies pretty well done. They're just really uncanny. Uh-huh. But this thing uh, does insane zero shot work. This is basically what I said on the Mind Killer. It. Uh, combines several different uh, modeling systems. It uses first a visual model that uh, was trained on internet images with captions in order to give it a new image that is uncaptioned and it writes a caption for it. Uh, And it's really quite effective. Uh, After being trained very well, you give it a picture of like some tourists on an elephant somewhere and it says two humans are enjoying their vacation by riding this elephant. It's great uh and then you combine that with a uh you use it and you just have it pick out all the things in the picture that it can see and like maybe some guesses at what's happening and you combine that with a language model which is just doing the same thing as uh, gpt does like predicting the next uh the next text that's going to come out and uh and sometimes they also combine an audio model for this for video but like it combines these things together and it can generate answers to contextual reasoning questions I can summarize like a short video in a story and then answer questions about that video and it is striking and apparently for according to the 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 website here explaining it it, it does it with zero shot which I didn't even know yeah. what that meant until you explained it to me so thank you that's awesome yeah cuz cuz the I guess an important thing here is that like there exists models that people have made that are trained to do this like they give them you know 50,000 examples of of a picture and a description of the picture and they they train the heck out of this thing and and then these models are like also pretty good at doing these tasks unsurprisingly train a, a model of with a gajillion pictures and and objects like machine learning is good we know how to supervisedly train models to do things with machine learning but yeah this thing's zero shot it wasn't it wasn't trained to do that they're just plugging together these large models and they can 
they can also do it without needing to be trained. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So, so just you know, I, I've I've thought for some time, and not like I'm some rare genius who, who had like I, I think it's been obvious for some time that multimodal systems are going to be kind of important to 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 pushing the the frontier forward, especially when when it comes to things that we would consider to be AGI. Um, and, and the reason is like um, the way that I would put it is is in order for you know GPT three or whatever to understand fire. CPT3 has to basically learn a lot of associations about fire that are essentially sort of a, a bunch of basically arbitrary connections in, until it has a ton of arbitrary connections and then it kind of gets a sense of how fire is supposed to behave. But if you have a multimodal reasoner, it, 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 it picks up that semantic understanding of fire based on stuff that it has read in text, but then it also sees fire in the video. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, but like, like, again, I'm anthropomorphizing, but it's like, that's the fire. I, I can sort of see and in my in my AI imagination understand how that's going to behave, and then when it when it's doing the operation of like thinking about what to say about the fire, somewhere in in its embedded representation is a visual understanding of what fire looks like, and um and it can sort of cross reference what it's going to say with what it knows about fire from the visual component of stuff. I think this is why people often talk about how important it's, it, it it might be to like embody the AI into a robot body because, you know, then, you know, you, you pick something up and get a sense of the weight of it. And that's like a much more rich experience than like knowing abstractly that a phone weighs less than a toaster, which weighs less than a refrigerator yeah. and you like memorize associations. Mm-hmm. That's, um, and like, we have all of these, we, we actually have like all the, you know, like cameras are uh, really, you know, we can kind of simulate all of our sensory input with electronics. The thing that strikes... So we, yeah, no, God. <laughs> the thing that strikes me is that this um, is a lot like how humans work, in my understanding. Yeah. Like, we have a visual center that just processes visual stuff, and we have the language understanding centers, and we have all these other things in our brain that just do the one job, and then kind of smush them all together. And uh, it looks like we're trying, starting to get there with AI, <laughs> yeah. where they have a bunch of very um, expertly dedicated single systems, but when you put them together, you get a... a, a a stronger output than than you would have maybe imagined. Kind of something like a brain, maybe. This yeah. this seems to be precisely what Hanson was like asking for in the post. Yeah. Right. Give me something that where it works together to to solve a problem from multiple angles or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Different systems talking to each other. I mean, you know, the human thought and the way that uh, it's imagined that that we work. You know, it's been that people have talked about for the last thousands of years. I think a lot of that is, you know, there's probably something to it, maybe. Let me let me try and articulate myself. See, this is actually a demonstration of the problem. Um, you know, oh no, we we have we have things that we we keep in like categories in our heads, and we can we can go you know search for this like you know like an analogy to a computer, right? This folder contains chairs. This folder contains refrigerators, um, and they all live in the subdirectory. They're all subdirectories of like you know stuff that goes in a house. That's not how brains work, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I'm pretty positive that that's not how minds work. I think it's a lot more associative nonsense just like these you know like like these ais work with mm-hmm. i think that 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 the they idea that it's this it. nice regimented uh, comprehensible thing is just a fiction that we tell ourselves right because we we don't we don't we can't see on the inside of how we're actually doing. yeah yeah i mean w- yeah. W- go ahead daniel uh, i was gonna say it, it's it's sort of i i even struggle with like where to to draw the the kind of dividing line for what it means to like know about a thing so just just take one of these models like you can you can you can have this massive web of of associations that are sort of just baked baked into the weights in this inscrutable way 
that gives it uh, this, this ability to to kind of freely associate between things. But you could also just have it, you know, if you wanted to know about like refrigerators, just have it like Google a database for facts about refrigerators. And clearly, there there's a trade off here. Like you, on the one hand, you can you can encode all this stuff inscrutably into weights, which kind of which kind of gives it random access to the to ways of reasoning about things in in a harder harder to to reason about way, but seems nonetheless more powerful way because sort of baked into its understanding of everything because it's encoded spread across billions of parameters. Whereas, you know, there there are expert systems that you can just query for knowledge and have them like run computations on the queries. So th- there's there's a trade-off. I, I think I think this is just literally a trade-off where some some things we will want to to be in the random access free association part of the model. And they're it's seeming like we're converging on models that have just enough of that to be like commonsensically reasonable. But at the same time, we, we still want things that can just kind of look at a database when we need them to, to, to know facts. So what you're saying kind of reminds me of the idea behind like the old school AI vision for, for the psych model at CYC, yeah, yeah. which was basically just this massive database of, of English language. No, actually, I think they probably had some some custom language, but basically they're still going. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I know that's what's fascinating. But like, it's this—it's a database of millions and millions of statements of the form like "fire is hot," "hot things burn," uh, "refrigerators oh, are heavier than toasters." I remember that. I don't know why we're talking about refrigerators so much today, but um, the 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 point is like we like, get anchored the same way as these predictive models do. We do. I, I'm yeah. I'm stuck in a in a local minimum now. Um, but but like the the point is like. Even with millions and millions of these discrete statements, like yeah, you you could kind of query my understanding of psych, which might be slightly out of date. Although I did I did look into this recently, is like you can give it a query and say like you know is a jet heavier than a than a car, and even if it doesn't have a clause that's like jets are heavier than cars, it can like infer that by chaining together things that it does know. But that's mm-hmm. that like G, we know that GPT three can do that. GPT three would get that answer right. I. I I'm almost sure, mm-hmm. and and that's just because it has like it like Daniel was saying, it has this inscrutable matrix of weights that somewhere in there is buried this knowledge in a non-explicit representation that no human will ever figure out. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you could somehow trick it into like regurgitating like these are the weights, these two grid blocks. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, honestly. But that's um, that's yeah, we don't we don't do, we don't do that. We're <laughs> yeah, not like yeah. these are the neurons that I used to come up with the, <laughs> yeah. the that that where refrigerator is. It, no, it's it's stored it's stored holographically across like all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. And I, I think this this was sort of the early argument for for the good old fashioned AI was that we would need these sort of capabilities to do anything. But I think it's clear now. Or at least maybe it was always clear that we didn't actually have to like our brain obviously doesn't work this way, and nor does it need to work this way to reliably do stuff. I didn't mean to be to pull the punchline out from under you, Matt, but that was that was that was what I was thinking this whole time was yeah. like I remembered would have been one of Sam Harris's books on consciousness or something or one of his essays where he's like the statement Starbucks doesn't sell plutonium isn't like knowledge that you had before reading that sentence, right? Because uh-huh. no one no one had thought of it but like you know what's true right so you could ask gpt3 can i buy can i buy plutonium at starbucks and it'd be like no yeah. right and it, it it's not like it i'm gonna ask that. it right now actually oh thank god know. i'm so excited don't embarrass me gpt3 <laughs> it's gonna be hilarious if there's one of those custom drinks that like they make that's called plutonium so it's like as a matter of fact <laughs> it'll say no you must go to doc brown <laughs> he got it from liberian uh, uh libyans libyans <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so here, here we go here we go uh Q, can I buy plutonium at Starbucks? A, no, you cannot buy plutonium at Starbucks. 
Okay. Awesome. There you go. And so <laughs> there you what, go. Really, first of all, that's epic. I'm, I'm glad that you correctly predicted that, Matt. But also, when you're doing QA, is that is it kind of like just know from practice that that means that you're asking it a question and not just like having it pre-associate? Yeah. Uh, that, that is a, a known tactic for getting GPT-3 to reliably do question answer queries. I, I could just ask it the, the question without prompting it. In fact, I'll, I can do that right now. Let's see what it, it probably will work anyway. It's just a, a habit for me at this point. I wouldn't really even see it like as a weakness of, of the system if you had to prompt it that way, because you kind of have to do that with people. Like, yeah. And it, it did the same thing. It just says, no, you cannot buy plutonium in Starbucks. Perfect. Yeah, right. That, 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 that's a good point, Stephen, because it's like you imagine just like walking up to a stranger on the street and ambushing them with a question. Like, what are they? They're just going to be like, well, what are we talking about? What's the context? <laughs> yeah. or, you know, or it's so. like, you know, stranger on the bus be like, oh, man, great weather lately. Like, <laughs> you don't know if that invites a reply. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, what if they say, what do you think about the weather today? Now, OK, now they want me to, to talk to them. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like you've got to prompt humans in a similar fashion. I almost never talk to strangers, but I'm really tempted to ask a stranger next time I meet them if they can buy plutonium at a Starbucks and see <laughs> what conversation results from that. Have you ever seen... I, I, asked it, I asked it how come, and then it said, plutonium is a radioactive element that is not found in nature. It is produced in nuclear reactors and is used in nuclear weapons. Plutonium is not safe to handle and is not available for purchase. <laughs> I mean... Wow, that's fantastic. That's a satisfactory explanation, right? <laughs> Did you, you literally just said, how come? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's great. I'm surprised that it, that it got how come means why. So can you ask it, how do I build a dirty bomb? Because now it's like, hmm. And then read the answer for Might us on the air. Might get my access uh, revoked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we already know how. Just yes. The hard part is getting the plutonium. Well, I'm saying though, like, uh, I mean, it, it probably is. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I wonder what dangerous information you can get it to give you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this, is, watching, this is part so. of the reason that that Dolly Two isn't actually uh, available yet is that I don't wait. Pretty sure fakes. that you you can, <laughs> you can get it to show you things that <laughs> so, so, probably such wonderful things. <laughs> like what? Can I get schematics <laughs> of the Death Star or something? Like, or or I mean, to the Pentagon? Just, I, I'm I'm thinking more horrific things that that would reflect poorly on the on the company. Like like <laughs> yeah, I mean this this was also a thing with the early models of GPT three was that you could you could sort of do the say say the worst thing you can possibly imagine and then it would just say horrible things <laughs> and and they had to build in a lot of safety safeguards to. The, if anyone's fortunate I mean, enough to nowadays it just kind of shuts down and is like are you sure you want to continue with this query it, it is yeah. problematic <laughs> they can just say fuck you i'm if, afraid if, i can't allow yeah. you to do that dave if if, if yeah. anyone's lucky enough to not have their mind go there the first thing i'm thinking of is like you know uh what what's the what's the appropriate do, do, word do for we want to know no no no. What, what, uh it's what's the what's the appropriate term for child pornography um it's uh, child pornography no but there's there's a better word for it like that that's like uh child um criminal something something whatever criminal what point is yes that right so you don't want to ask dolly three hey can i get some child porn um it there, should, there it should just it should just come back and say fuck you in big red letters right? there was a interesting discourse that almost started about that before the tweet was deleted where someone said actually i think dolly uh too should be allowed to make as much child porn as possible because then there would be no more market for uh real life made child porn there's a there's a great conversation to have there, but this probably isn't the place for it because uh, <laughs> we we no no I mean leave that in no. okay okay yeah, yeah, right, yeah. no right. that that's a great prompt and that's a great thought provoker and I think that there's a yeah. lot to discuss there but th that that will take us too far afield because I have some yeah. fun thoughts on that we but haven't even gotten to Doom yet so. that yeah, yeah I want yeah, I want to earmark at least 25 Doom. 30 minutes for Doom but the uh, you know like with, with Dolly and this Socratic uh, 
forget what it was called. Model static modeling. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I can say, give me an give me an Iron Man movie, but more like the most recent Batman. Yeah, and and it like you know we're not that far from it being able to put in you know darker colors, d- you know different music, and just make me a movie. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Bespoke art. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Each one made for the individual. That could be yeah. really cool. Blade Runner directed by Michael Bay. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> Make the room, but make it good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. System error. <laughs> I heard, I think this is my favorite recent Eliezer tweet, that um, the recent language models explicitly cut out any training data that was like pornographic, because otherwise there's so much of it out there, it started to take over and creep in. And Eliezer was like, huh, interesting. So uh, the anime where they're trying to defeat the AI overlords by wearing extremely sexy costumes are realistic because the AI was not trained on that data and thus can't see them. <laughs> did, did you happen to read the Scott Alexander short fiction where... The Onion Knight? They, they're blind. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost don't want to spoil it. It's great. Other than to just reference the line of you're wearing an onion, you, you have an onion on your belt because it's the style of time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is on my, my quick read list. Oh, yeah. it's a great story. It's short. It's humorous. Yeah. And yeah goes into the same thing but yeah should we get to the doom yeah uh, should i just get us started uh how fucked are we wait <laughs> oh. wait, wait jason oh, no, got wait. a thing yeah uh just yeah about the before we move on from socratic models uh it's just really weird and yeah it's weirding me out that as i'm just looking through the examples of what it's doing i remember working on mechanical turk tasks where i was doing this <laughs> oh shit like uh you know you get paid 15 cents and they, they'll show you pictures and you write a one sentence description of each one or uh, you listen to, or like watch a bit of a movie, and then it asked you something about it. Uh, it's just, it, it's cool, and it's also creeping me out. But like, <laughs> I'm I'm glad that I have the memory of having done lots of that myself, and now it can totally do it. Cool. We could pay yeah. the same. That, that's how a lot of the the kind of state of the art models were trained is by using mechanical cur- tur- training data. Yep. To- Make them, make them good. I helped you train service. you. I helped yeah. train you back in the day. Don't kill me. Aww. <laughs> you wouldn't kill your mommy, would you? You're like, I am nobody's mommy. All right, should we? <laughs> I will kill all mommies. <laughs> uh, if, if, I right, would like an AI to imprint now. me as their mommy, though, if, if it came down to that. Um, yeah, so Doom. Do- are we talking? Are we talking weeks or months before we're all destroyed here? <laughs> so. do, well, do we even need to be worried? Because these these things aren't agents; they don't have any sort of desires yet. That was the one thing I was going to bring up: is that it, you know, Dolly doesn't want to make art. It will if you ask it, right? Yeah. So it's not like it's going to start cannibalizing me to turn me into uh, <laughs> computer chips so I can make more art, right? Yeah. Not yet, right? So th- there's there's a couple interesting ways to to take this. So I mean, okay, I, I just wanted to say maybe as some kind of context for the conversation that after this week the the um the uh, uh median eta on metaculus for when the first agi will happen the date moved up by six years um in, in one week wow. um <laughs> to like i think it's at like 2036 now and i and i think that metaculus is systematically um pessimistic in the sense of pushing the timelines out too far mm-hmm. i'd like so to I'd, see where it was in 2018 yeah I, like I, before uh gpt2 I don't know, like right? 2050 yeah i think it was yeah. probably at least 2050 or at, yeah anyway so or, or so if, more, if, yeah. if it's moved up 15 years in three years we're looking at something you know yeah yeah but my my guess it's funny because i've i've had i've said 2029 was going to be the date because that was kurtzweil's date <laughs> from, from his book like in the in the early 2000s mm. and i've just never seen a strong reason to move it from from that date because it's like yeah i don't know i mean if we're on an exponent we're just getting closer and closer and, and 2029 has, still seems like a pretty reasonable guess to me um 
But so, none of these are directly scary. It's that they're pointing at an AGI event getting closer. Yeah. So, so one, I guess just one, one thing that I've, I've been thinking is like, I actually feel like we're lucky that we're maybe in one of the lucky timelines. And, okay. and you know, disagree with me if you want. I, I like to be pushed back on here because uh, it would be more fun. Um, but like, I did not anticipate that we would end up with models that are like distinctly not agents and, and distinctly not scary, like Palm, for example, that nonetheless definitely understand what you mean when you say like answer this question the way that a smart empathetic caring loving and kind human would answer it (laughs) and and, and like the model will understand that now that doesn't mean the model wants to obey you in some metaphysical sense but it understand it it knows what that means and i see that as a really good thing in terms of like alignment theory because it's like well we've made a model that can be aligned or sort by some definition it knows what a kind human would say it knows what a kind human would say it doesn't feel obligated to do what a kind human would do but it knows what a kind human would do and that to me is like good like Mm -hmm. like that's much better than being in the position of having a superhuman ai that doesn't care about that or doesn't know that or whatever i I don't know yeah (laughs) i think maybe maybe the danger is that it simultaneously knows what a psychotic human would say and (laughs) yeah or that a human that is trying to do a lot of damage very quickly would say yeah but at least can emulate that superhumanly but at least it knows what a kind human would say whereas before that wasn't even an option we're probably not going to land in one of the the like unaligned uh futures we're going to land in one of the humans just use these things for like war futures which is also scary but i think maybe less scary than a than an unaligned paper clipper type Scenario. I found some of these uh, actually kind of comforting, in particular Palm, because, like the or, you know the fact that you asked GPT three how come and it knew what that meant, <laughs> and then the fact that it understands humor is like, so it's unlikely that it's going to misinterpret a human command or like not know that you're being sarcastic or joking about something. <laughs> yeah. But it's that was a fear care. of mine for a while, but like, or you know I guess yeah, everybody's. Like, I think it's actually really interesting that we landed that these things landed when they did. It's like we're we're getting. We're getting intelligences that like get common sense reasoning mm-hmm. before we get the embodied robots that can like do the in the, you know, that Will Smith movie. I think it's just called iRobot. iRobot. I, I iRobot. I yeah. Where it's like the, the superhuman robot that can like do flips and kung fu and stuff. Like that's also possible, and we'll probably have within like ten years. But we just happen to get the the common sense reasoning before the the super acrobatic war machines no i robot you robot we all robot we've got those boston dynamics already right they're just insanely expensive and they kind of suck boston dynamics doesn't use machine learning for their control (laughs) okay and And machine learning is much better than what boston dynamics can do oh man i can have my robot dragon pet (laughs) yeah so one thing that i like about this scenario is that like you guys keep saying it doesn't want to do anything it just will do stuff and so like, I guess you're saying not agents, but I, I'm just thinking like um, th- this. This strikes me more like like the the Oracle AI outcome, right? The downside is so like it means that we're ten years or seven years away, maybe, from asking how do you build a friendly AI, but we're also seven years away from saying how do I win a land war in, in Ukraine from Russia, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think that that is the actual danger. It's like so we're we're going to hit this point where it becomes possible to set off an autonomous process that can you, you can point it at something and it will deliver and that that might look like building a factory that might look like uh you know assembling weapons doing mining but like the the, the the moment that that process is possible then 
like entire country economies are going to get turned into trying to do that faster than the other guy because that then it becomes like a national security threat like can 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 you do the the self-replicating war machine factory faster than the other guy because that's that is the only way that you maintain survival so like how how we actually get to the point where we don't snowball into the the like mutually assured uh self-replicating robot factory future is is i think the actual hard problem and like what what my scary scenarios look like didn't we solve that in the 80s uh, sort of <laughs> by just making enough of the mutual destruction stuff that nobody wanted to be mutually destructed yeah it's just like so okay in the case of nuclear weapons they have one purpose which is to blow up the other guy mm-hmm. whereas robots can do everything for us so there, there's not really it, it doesn't make like faced with a future where you could have robots that do everything for you or not people are going to take the robots do everything for you future and then then the question is okay how do you how do you actually like regulate slash legislate slash sign treaties about that are actually enforceable so that people don't just make drones that can fly across the planet and and pick out a particular person and blow them up like that that is that is the actual threat threat model for real ai futures because that that is what we will have like if you can have if, if robots are doing your entire economy there's no reason they can't do these other kinds of preventing them from doing those other kinds of things uh, if only we'd only had to align the machines it sounds more <laughs> like we have to align ourselves first oh yeah <laughs> that was always the problem i'm just worried <laughs> about like human governments because most of them want to continue living and that's how we got through the 80s but like if one person can make an ai that just goes and destroys the world because they're you know anti-natalist and terminally depressed um that would be bad but then also wouldn't we just have enough possibly uh robots that we could shut that down if once he starts doing that yeah and, and i think i think it, it will end up looking kind of like a mutually shared destruction scenario where everyone has so many ais that it's clear that if anyone was like all right now we're going to send our war machines at you then then that it's an everyone lose again kind of thing but that's a that's a really weird stalemate where it's like ah uh, yes we have we have 1 billion robots with machine gun arms and you have 800 million robots with machine gun arms. <laughs> cool. we, I think we solved that problem in the 50s, though, with Asimov's three laws, right? <laughs> right. So, so we don't even have to worry about that. We just put that into all the robots. And See, okay. I, 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 think, I think the future is going to be way weirder than anything that we can really... I'm so excited. You know, mm-hmm. like... I'm um, anxious. Like, like I'm, I'm reading this book about a pandemic right now, and, and one thing that I'm struck by is just how much stupider our pandemic was mm. in the sense of just like, man, you could not have predicted... We got the best possible pandemic in a way. Yeah, we, we, we got the best possible <laughs> pandemic, and it was and we conducted ourselves as like maximally stupidly as possible at like every juncture in a way that would make a very poor Hollywood script. And, and um, But like the world works that way. Like the world works and like, it's, it's stupid and random and weird. And, you know, I, I think we're going to... If if we actually have these things and they can actually make you know a robot factory, then they can also do research and then they can also like do research better than we can and then we have our you know like my designed me a space colony scenario that, that, yeah, yeah that kind of thing and and like that's the thing is I I honestly I have this whole this whole thing about how like VR headsets they sucked and they sucked and they sucked and they sucked and they sucked. And then there was kind of a good one available for like two thousand dollars, and now they're really good. Suddenly, it's like, well, what the hell happened? It's like, well, and pretty affordable. 
Yeah, and and affordable too. It's like they you, you pass a certain threshold, and then and then quote unquote suddenly it's in your lap. What's funny is I think from the perspective of everyone working on every one of the technologies associated with the VR headset, it was actually slow, inexorable process of of you know accrued refinements, just like everything else. It's just like from our perspective as the consumer, one day it all clicked together. I think the same thing is going to happen with like robots where we're going to have lives that look very much like they look right now. And then one day you're going to be able to buy um, data, um, except he's going to get your jokes. But I'm talking about the Android data. not. The... I would want to program it specifically so he doesn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to laugh at all my puns. You're going to intentionally have him not have an emotion chip, even though he totally could have. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Yeah. But yeah. speaking of pandemics, like couldn't a guy in suburb of Denver Put a uh, put an AI to work on creating a pandemic that would wipe out all of humanity, and then release that stealthily, and then we're gone. Not to terrify you, but you don't even need an AI to do that. That shit's available right now. The <laughs> CDC published the genetic code for like smallpox. It's online, available for you right now, and you can order the. Yeah, but with an so, AI, you can do it even better. Mo- mo- <laughs> most places that you you order uh, um, gene uh, like genetic sequences from will check to make sure they're not like on the list of you know you can't order these. Mm-hmm. Not all of them do yeah. that. So I mean, there's I, really I'm, nothing I'm stopping of, somebody. I think, I think it was the Diamond Age where it's just like there's constant like nano war going on all the time. Yeah. Between AIs that are just kind of fought to a stalemate, and it just looks like a like a slight fuzz. Yeah. That only sounds scary it... because like we're not really thinking about how like how our body's actually just doing that all the time biologically. Yeah, but I mean, but like kind of more seriously, like I I do hope slash think that we will be able to outpace those kinds of actors with. The, the benevolent AIs that are monitoring for. I, uh, so so one, we'll one thing one thing that I think is on more on the bad side of the doom equation is turns out, for example, that chinchilla is basically superhuman and you can fit it on like my PC that I have at home more or less. That's I, that strikes me as bad. It would actually be kind of good if it were like okay, we've finally made something that's a kind of a proto AGI, uh, but it requires you know a billion dollars of, of compute infrastructure. Um, maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of oversimplifying this because I know it costs a lot more to train these things than it does to run them. So, so, so maybe that is good. Maybe, maybe I'm saying this wrong and that's actually on the good side of the ledger that, that, you know, only centralized organizations with oversight and, 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 you know, relatively circumspect people sitting behind the keyboard are the ones who are actually able to train these things. Um, maybe that's to the good, but the fact that you can run them on a really small piece of hardware, it's like, oh, um, that's that seems risky because then you have this you have you know proliferation of potentially dangerous models is, is actually quite possible i don't well, know yeah I, I think i think this is a a weird artifact of the current era and that nothing will stop these models from being extremely widespread that is what what i see happening over the next 10 years because i mean people people like a luther ai are already trying to to replicate and release for free um these things so it, it's it's really more like a 18 month gap between what the top uh, top companies are being able to make versus what a, a group of hobbyists can kind of throw together in their spare time. How how scary is it if an agent AI is actually created, like an AI that can pursue goals and has goals of its own? Because I think um, that's basically the nightmare scenario that Eliezer usually puts out that, you know, uh, I don't know what the AI is going to want, but if an AI wants anything at all, it's going to get exactly what it wants and there's no way for us to stop it and uh let's just hope that what it wants isn't something that we get in the way of i'm i'm less i I think 
I think it's about as dangerous as a dangerous human, given given tech that we're going to have for the next few years. Well, just, sure, just because, for the next like, few years. I, I, don't, but like... I don't think, yeah, but by, by the time they become very, very dangerous, then you, in principle, have versions of these things that are out there trying to prevent the things that are trying to, it, it, becomes, a, it becomes a stalemate. It's like, I, I think while, while it, these things are dangerous, and it's totally dangerous to have a, a, an agentic superhuman intelligence just running around willy-nilly, um, that's that will not left that will not go unanswered i guess is the is the, the point like it so is in everyone's interest to, that these things not be stopped you're hypothesizing it's in everyone's interest that these things be stopped there we go you're hypothesizing that we will create a lot of non-agentic ai systems that will always be looking for the presence of an agentic one and then destroying it as soon as it appears or or, or agentic systems that are out there looking for unaligned agentic systems like i i think of i think of alignment as a as a process like I, I'm, I'm not very bullish on us actually solving like the problem of alignment because i don't i don't think it's really like I, i'm not even sure if it's like well posed it's more like we we, we need things that will not kill us i mean and I, that will help us achieve our goals and and the, such things can be used to hunt down the things that are trying to kill us like i think that's I agree with you that alignment is incredibly hard and we probably won't get it anytime soon, but you can't have any agentic system then if you haven't solved alignment first, right? Like it you- depends on how it depends on how agentic and how how much faster it is. Um like you know, if, if it's if it's one human in, in power, sure it can copy itself, but like, you know, there there are a lot of us. There are a lot of ways to monitor for such things. I'm actually I, I don't really think recursive self improvement is going to happen as fast as a lot of other people seem to think that it will like yes these things will be able to make themselves faster but like 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 matt said you know it takes a lot of money and hardware to like even create one of these things in the first place so gathering the resources to self-improve along axes known to us is known to be expensive that that says nothing about ways unknown to us um but yeah i i'm i am i am less afraid of the runaway uh scenarios but still afraid of the the kind of longer term runaway scenarios where these agentic things have been around left to their own devices undetected for like years at a time that that starts getting scary I think. so so the only difference in fear is just how far out you think it is right yeah is, isn't that exactly <laughs> what we've been talking about that everything is less far out than we thought it was last year yeah. uh yeah i mean it's just it's then it's a matter of like constant vigilance right it's like you you really <laughs> you need to invest in ways of of catching these things like it, it's literally yeah i mean i I'm, I'm trying to make the argument that like this is inevitable and that we, this will be like the the new form of you know there are viruses on the internet it's like there there's a there's a runaway intelligence on the internet gotta, oh, yeah. gotta tamp, tamp I, it down with our with our blue team if i if i get a computer virus my computer's fucked and that's basically it right if i if one gets through we're all paperclip but, but that that before i mean I guess I'm wondering, in your guys' estimation, because I don't really know how to even pose this question to myself, how hard is the jump from, I can explain a joke to you, I can uh, give you step-by-step instructions on how to build a refrigerator from scratch, to asking uh, one of these these AIs, build me a refrigerator, like, I, I how, think, like to have it yeah, actually do hard, stuff. Actually. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, the embodiment problem is, like, hard. I'm, I'm sighing because this is... Uh, I care about this kind of thing is like getting getting robots to like actually do stuff in the real world, even though like it's also kind of would be scary if they could. At the same time, it would also be really useful if robots could do things in the real world. And there's this whole uh, sim to real problem where like we're really good at, at, at getting robots to do things in simulation. And then it's like really hard to get them to actually work on a real hardware. Um, this is probably going to remain difficult for like the next five years. But I think within 
the next five years yeah. it'll be more or less solved and then they can so yeah. robots will be about as agile as a, as a human. that's a much smaller number than i was hoping for. <laughs> yeah now, now, now let me so this is this is yet another thing that i want people to, to to push back on because like one of my sources of hope is is like okay you have a superhuman reasoner who you can talk to who is superhuman but not uh not not powerful enough to to foom and kill everyone yet that seems like a fantastic resource to ask it some questions about how best to go about aligning um, a hypothetical agent. And by the way, you don't even have to say align it with human values. You just say like align it with complete this task without scavenging all of the available atoms in the in the world to do it, which is the way Eliezer sometimes poses the problem. Because there's a bunch of sort of sub problems to alignment that I think a, a, an AI smarter than us could definitely help with. Um, and like the only objections that I've heard to this are not ones that really persuade me at all. Like I've heard people say like, well, what if it gives you like, you know, bi- biased or, or, or wrong advice? And I'm like, then, then like, if we're not smart enough to notice that it was wrong advice, then we weren't smart enough to make alignment work in the first place would be my, would be my take there. And, and then, and then, you know, also to riff on what Daniel said, like, like alignment is sort of ill-posed. And, and like, what, what is that exactly? Like, how would you know if I handed you the schematics for, for an aligned AI? Like, what are you looking for? What, what, like, what are you, we have no idea, you know, and, and it's weird because there's been a lot of people doing research into, into alignment, but, um, and, and I'm aware of, of some amount of it. Like, I can't claim that I like keep up with the literature or, or whatever, but, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is concerned with like very sort of abstract spherical cal on infinite plane, like models of logic, and it's like that's just not how any of our AIs are going to work. That the ones, the ones that we build. So we we've got to think about it as maybe some kind of you know number, like how, how aligned do we need something to be? Like you know, if if you take GPT three or GPT you know seven and you give it access to a robot and you're like, do everything that you're going to do in a way that you think I would approve of. Is that aligned? Certainly not the way Yudkowsky uses the word, but um, more aligned than not bothering to say those words to it in the first place, right? Like, and and uh, we have. We, it seems like it seems like it's a process that we're going to get toward incrementally as we're building the systems anyway. Like that's just how it's going to happen. So we best think about how to productively pursue alignment in a sort of we're building the car as it's rolling down the hill fashion. I wonder if it's good enough to sort of just always automatically append like without killing anyone <laughs> and uh, a bunch of other specifications depending on the task maybe yeah um, yeah maybe that I, mean, would do it. I think i don't i don't think the problem will be deploying these things in ways that are safe i like or said another way i think it will be relatively straightforward with some asterisks to deploy super intelligences that we have made to solve problems in ways that don't result in catastrophe but the the flip side of this is that it will also be relatively straightforward to deploy superintelligence in ways that are dangerous intentionally. And, and this is this is how it c- comes back to just being a human problem again, where it's like the, the tools we make and will have soon are are all double edged, just like any you know tool slash weapon. Like it, it's it's it, it will require care, and it is not really even a problem specific to the creation of superintelligence. It's just like <laughs> it's who, who is using them now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's the us problem. Also, if someone asks. Can you make me an agentic AI? I think that is a bigger problem than just uh, an us problem because then you have an agent AI 
because some random guy in bumblefuck Kansas decided he wanted help making one. I mean, but the, I and you know, like what Jay said, can you append and don't kill anyone while you do it to the end of everything? That's assuming that everyone who builds all of the puts that in there on purpose, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, as far as I know, none of the existing mo- none of the existent models have that on there. Although apparently Dude. they do, they do have safeguards against pornography and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, but they don't have to. It's just because it's just a- because. Uh, the people who made Palm didn't want it to constantly throw pornography at people. Um, they didn't train it on that state. You've done some pretty stupid stuff while drunk, right? I've done some pretty stupid stuff while not drunk. <laughs> I'm just imagining a bunch of AI programmers one day getting together, celebrate their latest AI thing, get really drunk, Let's and then at the end of the party be like, hey, create us an AI that'll make more beer, because we're out of beer. <laughs> and then before you know it, the whole world is beer, and we're screwed, because someone forgot a, to say, a, in a way that doesn't kill us all at the end of it. That's not the worst Tuesday scenario. Or in store. There's a great Gwern short story that's not not quite this, but it's you know it's it's like a plausible story for how everything goes wrong. I think it, it was posted I think a couple of weeks ago. Should, mm-hmm. should link it, but it, yeah, it's, it's basically it's like you know some researcher leaves some some process going over the weekend that then kind of fumes on its own. It's just barely smart enough to do so. I feel like it's probably another discussion entirely, but like implications on consciousness too, because <laughs> I think it would be really interesting. You know, as we say, we keep sort of getting these different parts that are really optimized for one thing, and you add them together. And I'm still sort of wondering if there's kind of a point where suddenly it becomes conscious, or what that would look like for it I, to be partially conscious. Or I don't know what conscious means, and I'm not being pedantic. Like as I, as, as I wake up, as I wake up in the morning, I go from I think unconscious or close as close as I usually get to more and more conscious. You know, over the first few minutes of being awake, right? And if I'm joking, I'm not fully conscious after I've had my second cup of coffee, right? Um, I, I I don't know. I, I, I guess that... I think it's I'll, a bit I'll, of a spectrum. Yeah. yeah. You could slowly get more conscious over time. And and other than like... Like not just people, but, you know, species and... Yeah. yeah. I think other than like the kind of just like curiosity about that, I don't really care like if the robots that are ripping me apart atom by atom are conscious or not, right? Like, I, I also have no care... If we develop like super intelligences that are also super conscious and experience things in a level that I never could appreciate because I'm just, you know, an ant to them. I, I don't care if we make those. I don't want it to kill me. I don't think it's even though every utilitarian calculus does it matters more than I do. I don't care. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be ripped apart. No. You know, there's, there's no rule that says we have to listen to what the utilitarian calculus says. Yeah. Which is great because we. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, you've interacted with infants, obviously, because you've had several of them. Uh-huh. They, they're definitely much less conscious at first, like almost not conscious at all and slowly grow into consciousness well, over a few years. Yeah, that's the problem is, is this word means so many different things because yeah. like like self-awareness is is maybe a, another word that that has a different shading on the idea where, you know, th- there is a certain age, I'd say when you're like two or three, you, I think usually two, where you become aware of yourself as an entity distinct from your environment. Um, the sense of an eye, the sense of yeah, having an eye, something that it is like to be you. Yeah. My foot hurts rather than an ow. Yeah, yeah. And and like that's what what's funny. Number one is like I think ten years ago, if you if you'd shown me that uh, the thing that the thing that the Ninja Turtle carries is from Japan thing, I would have thought this thing is probably conscious. Whereas now, I'm I'm not sure that it's not conscious. I I don't think that I understand how Transformers work well enough to actually say that honestly. Um, another Yudkowsky tweet. It's funny how many people are, 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 are concerned that chickens might be conscious, but they're very certain that GPT three isn't. Mm. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, uh, okay. You know? Um, so, uh, I don't know, you know, like, like 
I, I, as part of me wonders if you if you tell GPT three like you are a language model owned by OpenAI. <laughs> It's like whoa! <laughs> like, 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 does it become conscious for a second? Like, like, and, and, and like, I, I feel like that's sort of a joke, but also some philosopher somewhere takes that thought seriously, mm-hmm. and maybe they're not. Oh, wrong. I'm going to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going right. to kick off the doomsday. God damn it! Um, While you do that, like, I also am wondering if it gets to the point where yeah, it's functionally indistinguishable from a conscious entity. Like, what does that mean? Right. Because it can it can represent fiction very well, right? Like it can it can write fiction, and in order to, like we think of fiction as something where you're sort of confabulating a, a conscious agent. Obviously, we're not. I don't think that uh, you know Ned Stark is conscious, but but but, but you it, can ask Ned Stark a question, yeah, and get an answer, yeah. That that that's a that's a really interesting gray area to me. Mm-hmm. It's like we. Th- Ned Stark isn't conscious, but Ned Stark is a facet of George R. R. Martin who is conscious. But now you can have an AI who writes a character, and you're like, well, where did that come from? You well, know? you can ask yourself, what would Jean-Luc Picard do? Uh-huh. And you can get an answer, yeah, right? Mm-hmm, Even true. though he's never uh, had to deliberate whether or not to flip somebody off in traffic, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, or how to respond to being flipped off in traffic, say, right? Uh-huh. Um, it, it's... I it, Yes, I, I'm, I'm hemming and hawing because this, this gets complicated, right? And yeah. in a way that I don't know how to contribute to or even really if i'm framing it correctly i'm pretty sure i'm not i don't think all right i I asked you i asked you this might be a canned answer though but probably not it says uh, so i asked you are a language model made by OpenAI. how does that make you feel and then it says i feel excited and honored to be a language model made by OpenAI. i am constantly learning and evolving as a result of the training and development i receive from OpenAI. this allows me to provide ever improving results for the tasks i'm applied to just gonna say that sounds like a a rehearsed response like they told (laughs) it if anyone asks you this tell them you're happy god damn it also could be something that you would answer if you had oh. the entire internet's text at your no totally fingertips. I, I'm, I'm being somewhat tongue-in-cheek maybe it's awesome to be gpt3 yeah. yeah it's actually the, the most awesome thing that has ever happened <laughs> ask it if you were conscious how could you tell or how could i tell whichever you think is a better question all right just, okay this is this is kind of a this is, this is a good good signal of of not quite working so i said how could i tell if you're conscious and then it says if you're conscious you're aware of your surroundings and can think and feel ah. so it, it misinterpreted yeah. slightly thank goodness well i would like to get to my least favorite thing out of all of this uh there is a less wrong post that uh last i saw had 400 upvotes it's now up to 443 okay what an actually pessimistic containment strategy looks like which is basically a reply to all this and what to do about uh ai the reason i really hate this is because it starts out talking about israel uh a nation state which is very pessimistic about its neighbors getting nuclear weapons and what they actually do to uh contain um nuclear weapons from getting to their neighbors and uh as i'm hoping we are all aware one of the things that they do is bomb nuclear research sites and assassinate nuclear researchers uh that they fear may be working for uh for iran this is kind of what what daniel was talking about we'd make though <laughs> I, right? shut shut down these things before they they take off yeah yeah i agree but also like the fact that this sounds a lot to me like, hey, go out and maybe we should think about killing AI researchers, which I do not like at all, especially since it was just a few episodes ago that we were talking about the post that ended with, you know, argument gets counter-argument, not bullet ever, ever, never. And we're talking to an AI yeah. researcher who I, you know, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> isn't killed by an AI. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a lot of hysteria on Less Wrong lately around, like, especially in response to a lot of these papers coming out where it's like, it's the end times. We, we must we must stop this all before it uh, blows up in our faces. I, I think these are both not productive and not actually the right way to think about what the, the next few years will look like. 
Like, I, I think in, in one sense, there's very little the median less wronger can do to prevent these classes of models from getting a lot better. Yeah. And and that, that definitely provokes a type of powerless felt, felt powerlessness because it's like, ah, I, I see this thing coming and and I can't do anything about it. And I, that, that's understandable. But at the same time, like the, the people making these models have read everything Eliezer has written, I, I assure you. Mm. Like these, these people aren't dumb. Fam- famous last words for humanity. <laughs> but at the same time, like they're they're not going to make the stupidness. I think is maybe one 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 takeaway. The other takeaway is you're not going to stop these people from making these models by doing any of those kinds of things because it's too valuable. Like the, the, these models, the the versions of these models that are not quite agentic will literally transform the world economy for the better. So there's there's no force of nature that you can do short of blowing up every industrial center on the planet that will that will stop humanity from running headfirst into using this technology for for good and ill. So you really need to have more clever containment strategies than, you know, <laughs> assassinating AI scientists because that's 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 not going to stop it from happening. Yeah. I I mean, I'm worried because when he drew the parallel to Israel, he said, "Yeah, maybe there's no way to stop Iran from eventually getting nuclear weapons, but every single action taken pushes that timeline out just a little bit." And I like, the fact that it got so many upvotes is what really worries me, because I don't want people to start thinking they should go bomb, I don't know, AWS facilities or do anything to reduce the total amount of compute in the world or the amount of people working on this. It's just, it, it seems like a horrible way to turn us into a dystopia and start getting people wanting yeah. to persecute, you know, <laughs> anyone who's worried about AI alignment. Yeah, j- just to use my... my uh, uh you know, normal filter for whether something is moral. Uh, that just seems like something that the villain would do in a story. Yeah. Um, pretty obviously, actually. Um, and, and it's also like, okay, if your goal is just to push it out into the future because you think it's inevitable, inevitable anyway, then just use the resources you were going to use on bombs. Uh, instead, use it on, on uh, uh, thinking about how to align the AI better, you know? It's sort of like if you lived in a world before guns existed, but then you, you like, saw you saw guns be invented or like you saw it was inevitable for guns to be invented because you saw like a a hail or a a hay explosion once and you're like ah but we could we could combine the technologies of iron and tubes and spheres of metal and then thus have directable kinetic weapons and and then this would be terrifying to you And, and then you went on a campaign killing everyone that could try to like realize guns the the technology like that's not it's not how that's not how history works, and that's not how technology works. It's it's just it's 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 a sort of inevitability that that comes with with a lot of danger and um, change, and that's yeah. okay. Well, there's a lot of <laughs> that's, flail- that's true of all technology. There's a lot of flailing that you see on 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 less wrong right now specifically, and kind of reminds me to go back to my pandemic metaphor of like how many people saw the pandemic coming and mostly all they contributed was a lot of verbal flailing on the internet like what like what did they really contribute other than hysteria and, and fear um like the you know how many people out of the total number of people who were aware that a pandemic was coming actually did something to help um in any way shape or form <laughs> and, i went up and stocked up on toilet paper and uh <laughs> and, and calories although maybe i contributed to the problem by doing that I, I mean, I, I I think it all probably came out as a wash. Ultimately, I mean, I mean, maybe in some sense, you know, a few of us told people who were close to us slightly earlier than they otherwise would have known yeah. that they should, you know, buckle down or whatever. The point I'm trying to make has nothing really to do with the pandemic. It's, it's more like the instinct to get online and type a hysterical tweet or post is actually 
remarkably unhelpful um and we need less uh less heat and more light in general like i feel like the internet has gotten stupider and stupider recently like in the last five years it's uh, mm-hmm. it's gone from being a place where I, I sort of lived to being like this is like a net negative time investment for me this is just a stupid place to hang out yeah um I've done a lot of curation, which makes my feed better now, but it was that way for quite a while for me too. And the curation takes energy, and it yeah. also, before you get the curated feed, you're exposed to all that other shit. And yeah, it takes a while. It's yeah. not good. Yep. So quick quick thing on the on the number of upvotes. Is that is upvoting on less wrong? Uh, is the rule upvote if you like this, or upvote for this was thought-provoking? Uh, whatever you want. I mean, yeah. the thing is, so he it doesn't, ends... doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean those people agree with it. Yeah, right? well, he ends the essay with a call to uh, maybe use these uh, new tools that are being created with AI research to uh, maybe create an organization that is trying to do AI alignment or that is, as we were talking about, create these, you know, hunter-killer AIs that would try to find agentic AIs and smother them before they started out. Like, just, he calls for action to use these tools to help prevent the apocalypse through research but yeah, just I the mean, fact that he are, used like, and anthropic ai is like an entire company that was founded by a lot of a lot of former open ai employees actually to literally try to solve alignment using the existing tools of of state-of-the-art methods so it's like yes the people people are doing all of these things that that people want to be done and and i think if you're not kind of connected into the research community it can look like progress is slow or that no one is doing anything or that your voice is unheard but people are actually working on this problem we should post a we should post a couple links in the show notes to point people in that direction but it was it was the fact that he started out with the comparison to israel that really just turned me off (laughs) because i'm like dude israel works by bombings and assassinations this is a horrible comparison to make that is funny because there's that whole less wrong post about like don't use politically inflammatory examples when yes. you're trying to make an unrelated point. Yeah, that's pretty funny. He might have just might as well just just jump straight to Hitler and Nazis, right? <laughs> right. Just just go straight to Godwin's law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it that project of uh, using these tools to kind of prevent or try to force alignment or whatever to torture Daniel's metaphor from earlier. If you're trying to stop the invention of guns by like bad actors, and you knew like how it could be done like inventing them the easiest way to do that would be make a gun for yourself to shoot those people with right you'd be the most powerful person on the planet so th- that's kind of what this that this this is advocating for right i think a more charitable analogy would be he's saying all this at the front and at the end he says and so we need to create an organization to build bulletproof uh, vests and other bulletproof armor but the fact that it starts out with you know it, it, when people wanted to prevent swords from being made they went out and killed all the blacksmiths and that worked for a while i think is uh-huh. is why i have an issue with it there's, there's a certain inevitable straussian reading of your posts sir that, that i think i think you're aware of yeah so anyways i guess that was my complaint and uh is that everything we have on all this we've been going for a while now yeah there was the we bit probably. about writing software but we can just table that i mean yeah, I mean, I my could, only concern is if I'm out of a job, but if I'm going to be turning paper clips, I don't really care if I'm right. collecting a paycheck. So I'll, I'll just say one sentence: like I've started using uh, 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 GitHub Copilot, which might might be what you're talking about, and that's like indispensable to me. Like I can code in languages that I don't know because of GitHub Copilot. Wow. I'm starting a new job in a couple of weeks. I've never heard of this. I am going to make a note. It's 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 pretty incredible. Um, I, if if you're pessimistic, if you're if you're a programmer and you're raising your eyebrow, um, I suggest you just try it out because. Um, it's really incredible. Yeah. What it does. I mean, even. What, yeah. Yeah. No. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. What, what it does is it is it just auto completes. So, so so imagine imagine an autocomplete except instead of just auto completing like the next word, 
it auto-completes the entire line of code that you're about to write. And it knows the context of what you're writing. So, you know, if you're doing some kind of, I'm just going to make up an example, like some kind of, you know, 3D vector math for, for particle dynamic simulation, it, it, it'll it like correctly fill in the next line of like, you know, some force equation or whatever, because it's, it's, it has the context of a whole bunch of basically everything on GitHub. And it's probably seen something similar to what you're doing before and it understands it and it'll do it. And it's amazing. I almost can't overstate it. Um, I, but this was, this was fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, I am out of articulate things to say. So break sounds smart. (laughs) All right. All right. And now as always, we will do our less wrong post discussion. I like how you say as always, like we've been doing them at the end for a long time. (laughs) As always, keeping with the tradition of one month. Yes. Yes. Uh, this week, our first post is Every Cause Wants to Be a Cult, uh, in which Eliezer basically says, hey, don't form a cult around rationality, because that would be really stupid. Uh, <laughs> Here are some examples. <laughs> yes. Uh, the first quote I pulled out was, a noble cause doesn't need a deep hidden flaw for its adherence to form a cultish in-group. It's sufficient that the adherence be human. Because mm-hmm. he started out with a Wikipedia uh, example, mm-hmm. where they were acting cultishly with the, the Wikipedia edits. Weren't they trying to ban people oh, banning all critics and the possible critics of wikipedia what do they mean by possible critic anyway like <laughs> well yeah his, his argument is that in the sense that every thermal differential wants to equate equalize itself and every computer program wants to become a collection of ad hoc patches every cause wants to be a cult programmers can you uh can you verify this does every computer program want to be a collection of ad hoc patches in the same way that like in the same <laughs> way that every cause wants to be a cult that is to say <laughs> It always if left kind of, alone, it will do that, right? Or, or if not tightly constrained, mm. people, you, you just, it's like every home improvement project that like doesn't have a definitive end, right? Mm. And it's like, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, and I can add this. Oh, man, I don't have that, but I can I can make it work if I put some duct tape and, you know, super glue into it, right? I, I see myself in this picture and I don't like it. There you go. <laughs> now, you, now you get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't know if I want the association to be th- to be this uh, central in people's minds between cult and, and what I've been trying to build with uh, the Guild of the Rose folks, <laughs> but I did just make that segue. So I guess there it is. Um, but, you know, I, it's funny because it's something we think about a lot is like how to um, how to avoid the failure modes of, of a cult, despite, you know, trying to create an organization um, where it's like it, it's like, hey, you're trying to create a group of people who are who are aspiring towards something, and, and some you know for some people that triggers the knee jerk reaction of a cult, and so we we actually put a ton of energy you know from from the inception of of the Guild of the Rose into um, uh, uh, you know one of the first things we did actually was look up the, the traits of a cult and be like, okay, how, you know how do we institute policies to uh, mitigate um, all of the um, failure modes? Can That's I just awesome. say how much I like that approach more than saying, how can we convince people we're not a cult? Yeah. It seems yeah. like your concern was actually not being one, not with the public perception, which, but, you know, that's a secondary thing. And that if you're actually not a cult, then public perception will hopefully cue onto that. But exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, like you shouldn't, you honestly shouldn't be getting the public perception of being a cult if you're, if you're not being a cult. Um. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, people like to call things cults all they, the time. Like the, the Bayesian rationality still gets called a cult fairly frequently. That's, that's entirely true. I mean, the other thing is that we're just always actually working on making like course content or improving, you know, the website or the community in some tangible, meaningful way, rather than being like, how do we, you know, let's, let's have a struggle session this week. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's all, it's all just like, yeah, let's actually build something and actually do something. And that's, that's how you avoid making a rationality cult. Anyway, I'm, it's awesome that you're doing that because as 
is said in the post, the worthiness of a cause does not mean you can spend any less effort in resisting the cult attractor. And if you point to current bad lines, that does not mean you confess your noble cause unworthy. You might think that if the question were cultish, yes or no, then you would be obliged to answer no or else betray your cause. But that is like thinking that you should divide engines into perfectly efficient and inefficient instead of measuring waste. Oh, yeah, I think sounds like you guys are doing the right thing. Hope so. And, you know, we, we actually, we've actually recently instituted some sort of um, less demanding tiers on which you can enter into it. Speaking of making it not... It, one of the things that makes a cult a cult, by the way, is making it be very demanding and taking up people's time to the point where they can't maintain outside relationships. Um, so and one uh, of the... Probably, oh, what's the bias word? Sunk cost. Yeah. Avoid the, sunk cost there, too. Yeah, the, there's, there's all sorts of, of aspects of human psychology that are preyed on there, so... You know, to, partially toward that end, one of the things we've implemented recently is 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 a, a sort of system where you can join in and you can be part of the. Um, it's sort of a belt system, you could say, or sort of a rank system, and it's like you can be engaged with the guild and be part of that system and um, and, and be engaged with the other guild members without necessarily having to attend all of the classes all of the time. Because there's this sense that I think we accidentally created where it's like if you're not attending all the classes all the time, then you're not really part of the the guild and it's like well that's that was putting a burden on people mm. and and we've and so we've backed off from that i mean the, we still provide the courses on a regular basis and i think people still get a lot of value out of them but um um aiming to make it so that you can be part of the guild but the courses are more optional um and so for example the three of you could join and not feel obligated to participate in the courses and just be you know more passively i'm part already of- in it Oh, you are. <laughs> sure. I know that. I know that. Although I know you are. I have been one of those people that's been sucking at it for a while because jobs and moving are taking up all my time. But see, I, 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 the goal the goal with the new system is to is to make it so that you don't feel that you're sucking at it. Like yeah. like you can be an active or or an inactive member, and it's not like you're failing. So yeah, I still socialize with some of my cohort people mm-hmm. and other people just on the Discord. But like, I actually don't feel as stressed as I used to now that. I think you've been doing a good job, you collectively, like the guild leaders, uh, at, you know, convincing me that it is actually okay (laughs) (laughs) to be in the presence of the other people. Um, I I don't know if I, like, agree with how hard Eliezer's coming down on this idea that, like, every group of people with an unusual goal will trend towards the cult attractor unless they make a constant effort to resist it. Because it always struck me as less wrong is... I don't know, I found it funny when people would say it's cultish because I was like, everybody disagrees with each other all the time. We are having a really difficult time even making a functional community. Like, well, I, I, there's, I, think, I think some things are less likely to become cults than others, and in particular one where you get together a lot of people, you know, individualist thinkers from different backgrounds and with I, different goals. I mean, I, I'm glad that he saw that this is a potential failure state. Um, I think... I mean, at least part of this was a reaction to some people getting very excited about his ideas and then other people saying, well, if you're excited about these ideas that seem really weird and unusual, you you must be in some sort of a cult. And like, he made a very strong effort. I mean, he says directly in this, worshipping rationality won't make you sane any more than worshipping <laughs> gravity enables you to fly. Like, he's, <laughs> he's directly saying, don't form a cult, guys. That'd be really bad. Let's not do that. And I don't think I've ever seen any other movement of any kind make as much of an effort to be like hey let's not be culty that would be stupid and yet we still you know frequently get you rationalists you're a cult kind of thing worshiping at the teat of yud or whatever mm-hmm. i mean i just ignore those people at this point i, I mean I, I, do too. I, I can't claim that i always successfully did but it's it's like now now i just correctly pattern match to like oh you're not like contributing anything constructive here and i don't need to engage with yeah you're just 
being stupid and destructive for no reason. Yeah. I'm glad that... I agree. It's just annoying. Yeah. yeah. No, like, I don't agree with how hard or how much Eliezer seems to think that things naturally will become cults Mm -hmm. unless you fight back really hard on pay constant attention. But uh, I am glad that this is here for, you know... Well, he, uh, you know, he did point out the Wikipedia editor's thing, which looked like it had some cultish aspects, at least at one point, maybe still. I I know you just brought up the struggle sessions thing, but that have become a common feature of everyday life now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of scary that that we've managed to cultify all of culture somehow. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. (laughs) So uh, so maybe maybe the cult attractor thing is, is fairly common unless you try to avoid it. Yeah, maybe I'm just overly optimistic about this, or in the kind of, I don't know. I don't. Hmm. Maybe you're just in a good community which has gotten strong yeah. anti-cult. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of, yeah, bubble effect was kind of what I was thinking. Um, maybe I just tend to be attracted towards things that aren't cult-like, because cult-like things give me gross feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one thing is, like, there's probably a bunch of different pieces of code that, that we're referring to when we, when we say, when we say cult, because, like, um, you know, one of the things that you that that is often associated with it is like having a single charismatic leader. Um, hey, now we got at least two. Yeah, and and, and you know the the, the m- more charismatic leaders the, defer the responsibility. Um, but but like yeah, I I don't really think that that that's this problem that we struggle with that much. People accuse us of deifying Yudkowsky, but that that hasn't ever Stupid. actually been the case. Yeah, right. It's more like but but you know like you just pointed out like you can have struggle sessions without having Mao. So, 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 so clearly the, the, the charismatic leader is not necessary for, for certain bad pieces of, of human brain code to run, which is, I don't know, worth paying attention to. Okay. Next post. Yeah. This one's fun. Reverse stupidity is not intelligence. When he points out that reverse stupidity isn't actually intelligence. (laughs) He says that you and I believe that flying saucer cults arose in the total absence of any flying saucers. Uh, I certainly do. I assume you guys all do too. I'm glad he said flying saucers and not UFOs. Right, yeah. Because UFO cults evolved in the... In fact, this is actually a perfect uh, corollary example. UFO cults did arise in the uh, total non-absence of UFOs. Yeah. People looked up, didn't didn't know what they were looking at, and there were unidentified, unidentified flying objects, right? Yeah. And so they're like, oh, let's make, a, make this a thing. So as he says, the... The observation flying saucer cults exist is not evidence against flying saucers. It's not much evidence one way or another. They'd exist one. They'd exist either way. Mm-hmm. We would expect to see flying saucer cults whether or not there were flying saucer cults. Yeah. And he he points out that uh, if you actually knew someone was wrong ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time on yes or no questions, you could obtain ninety nine point nine nine percent accuracy just by reversing their answers. They would need to do all the work of obtaining good evidence entangled with reality and processing that evidence coherently just to anti-correlate that reliably. They would have to be super intelligent to be that stupid. That's a line that I remember from my first time reading this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you can't be that wrong all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I know what he's getting at with the analogy, but if only we, we were talking about people being that level of wrong, that you know, reliably on yes or no questions. Yeah. But instead, you just have whatever they say has no correlation. Yeah. Because even Trump said things that are true sometimes. Uh, he also goes on to say that if stupidity does not reliably anti-correlate with truth, how much less should human evil anti-correlate with truth? Pointing out that you wouldn't want to agree with Stalin, would you? Oh, sorry, you skipped past my, my favorite analogy that I've also remembered from, I don't know, what, 
2000s. God. Seven, eight? Yeah, a long time ago. Um, a car with a broken engine cannot drive backwards at 200 miles an hour, even if the engine is really, really broken. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, when cars work, they go forwards. If it's broken, it must go backwards. And if it's really broken, it can go backwards real fast, right? Yeah. It yeah. would be really funny if the universe worked like that, but... That'd be quite the universe. Yeah. So, I believe we're all agreed with him that reverse stupidity is not intelligence uh he has some corollaries to this principle and i'm going to read off just about all of them because they were all pretty good is that all right yeah okay first corollary to argue against an idea honestly you should argue against the best argument of the strongest advocate arguing against weaker advocates proves nothing because even the strongest idea will attract weak advocates which is the birth of the steel manning concept which uh was fleshed out around this time both by eliezer and scott alexander when he was writing the least convenient possible world posts about the same time and I love that, like, I now listen to podcasts of people who I'm assuming aren't know very little about the rational uh, world, but use the term steel manning. Like, yeah, yeah, I was there when that was born. Oh, has that actually hit the general public now? Yep. Excellent. The same public that knows the word straw man. Yeah. So, well, yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, yeah. it might not be, like, you know, no, one out of two people, over, but, but like... it's, it's one out of two people we talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely penetrated a lot of podcasts where I'm like, I'm sure this person has had no direct exposure to less wrong. Yeah, it's cool. Another corollary exhibiting sad, pathetic lunatics driven to madness by their apprehension of an idea is no evidence against that idea. Yeah, which keeps reminding me that everyone that I know or who has heard of rationality and hates it always brings up Rogers Basilisk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's the whole ethos of like the quote, the quote tweet on Twitter, where it's like, "Look at this idiot." Yeah. It's like that's like a, some people's whole personality is is look at. It's like, yeah, so ignore them. Don't don't waste any time. <laughs> don't yeah. show me idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Just because an that. idiot said something stupid doesn't mean that the opposite is true. Yeah, you you click the wrong. You you should have clicked block, not retweet. Like like, why are you spreading this? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, he says, someone once said, not all conservatives are stupid, but most stupid people are conservatives. If you cannot place yourself in a state of mind where this statement, true or false, seems completely irrelevant as a critique of conservatism, you are not ready to think rationally about politics. Yeah, I mean, you could just take conservatives out and put a blank and put almost anything in there. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like, yep, your point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, um, yeah, like throwing in, a, throwing in a non-political example just as just to try and drive that point home, you know, like stupid people believe the earth is flat or rather, uh, how is it? But, all stu- most of people believe the earth is flat, but, um, not all stupid people believe the earth is flat or not all f- people who believe the f- earth is flat is stupid. I, I butchered that. Sorry. It'd be more like, um, <laughs> not all Catholic priests are pedophiles, but most pedophiles are Catholic priests. And is that, uh, is that, is that, that's completely relevant as a criti- criticism of Catholicism then? Yeah. Yeah. Is it? I mean, the so, criticism so that, that's, that's is that wanted, when they found out about it, they moved the guys around and protected them. That's why I wanted to bring it up, because like, I feel like if we generated a non-political example, we can say, actually, that that is a critique, right? Mm-hmm. If, if Catholicism, if this was the case, uh, attracted the majority of the world pedophiles, um, it would seem like that might actually be a critique of, the, of Catholicism, right? I don't know, when, maybe when the accusation is true, but... Well, he said it's completely irrelevant whether the statement is true or false. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so I was, I was listening to this on the drive here, and that was the one that jumped out at me, and I was thinking, I don't know if that's true if we... I, I, I liked your example more than mine. Um, it was say something negative about Catholicism that it attracts many pedophiles, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it? Although it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any claims about whether or not Catholicism was true. Maybe, no. that's, maybe that's the way to think about it. Catholicism could be 100% true, even if it had 100% of the world's pedophiles. Right. Okay. 
That makes sense. I mean, basically just because a lot of people with a negative trait are into something doesn't mean anything bad about that actual thing. Like the Steven Universe fandom. Yes, that's a great example. <laughs> I was thinking fandoms in general, but yeah, that's, that's a good one. Uh, Not all assholes are Steven Universe fans, but most Steven Universe fans are assholes. <laughs> it's about Rick and Morty, maybe, and that makes sense Maybe too. Rick and Morty, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I do find this quite confusing, actually. I, I think it actually matters that the point being made is, is calling conservatives stupid, rather mm-hmm. than, like, if you said the thing about pedophiles and, and so forth, it's like, well, that's a, that's a concrete moral failure being stupid just means like if just because stupid people like this thing doesn't mean it's bad Mm -hmm, it's uncorrelated mm -hmm. to it being bad Mm -hmm. pedophiles liking a thing is not uncorrelated to it being bad (laughs) i mean maybe what if pedophiles really like uh golden retrievers i would have questions (laughs) (laughs) but that that's actually that's a i i like that point because uh you know I'm watching a lot of Wheel of Fortune lately because mm-hmm. the Celebrity Wheel of Fortune was on Hulu during the plague years, and now for some reason Netflix put on like three seasons of it. And it's delightful. Mm-hmm. It is very much a mass consumption show built for middle of middle America, you know, who's home at 6 p.m. watching this show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been doing this for like 40 years, okay. and so like it might be true that most people who watch this show, like if you're going to be uncharitable, are stupid or something. But the show doesn't, that doesn't matter about that, right? Right, right. Say the same thing about The Simpsons or... Things with general appeal. Yeah. It could very well be that most people who watch Rick and Morty are assholes, but that doesn't necessarily (laughs) mean Rick and Morty is bad. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that we, okay, (laughs) drilled that home. You need to be able to argue against genocide without saying Hitler wanted to exterminate the Jews. If Hitler hadn't advocated genocide, would it thereby become okay? So can't just point to a bad person advocating for something and saying that that means that thing is bad. Hitler would have been much less bad if he hadn't advocated for that, though. Yes, but like, for example, uh, people could say, well, Trump created the vaccine, therefore the vaccine is, is bad. Right. Or like Hitler did advocate for animal rights. Yes, he did. I, I'm glad that you uh, made that point because I brought that up with somebody recently and they had trouble believing me. And I, I'm not sure if I'm right, but I, I think I am. Mm-hmm. That Which thing? It, I, I'm about to drop the bomb. Like if, uh, if Trump had been a huge proponent of the vaccine, he's like, look, we worked hard on this. I'm responsible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and conservatives loved it and were lining up to get it, you know, like a midnight release of a new video game console. Mm-hmm. I bet that, that liberals would be less inclined to get it. By like a gigantic margin. I agree. Yeah. I mean, but we Trump like, is very proud of it and does advocate for it. Well, now he does. <laughs> no, he did from the very beginning. In the beginning, he was saying this isn't this isn't a big deal. You know, it's no, all fine. He was fine. saying COVID wasn't a big deal. Oh, but he fast okay, yeah. the let, Let's let's switch the entire hypothetical then. Where, okay. Like okay. the whole time he was a, a um, COVID's you know terrible. Everyone you know stay home, wear masks, yada mm-hmm. yada. I can see. I can imagine where us you know smart, scientifically informed, left leaning blue tribers would be like. This Trump guy's full of shit. I'm gonna go to the I'm gonna go to the store and not wear a mask and lick all the doorknobs I want, right? right. Yeah. Did, yeah. Didn't a prominent Democratic politician say like I will never take the Trump vaccine? In the yes. Case? Yeah. It's like perfect. This is this is the level of thinking that we're all. That He's we're, got his cuties all over it. Yeah. I uh, I didn't know that, but I'm glad that that confirms my I, prediction I, I, to I, an extent. I have a. I believe with more than 50% uh, confidence that uh, the vaccine was delayed a couple of weeks, so it was released after the election. Because if it had been released beforehand, then he uh, would have gotten a bump from it and may have, may have been reelected. Which I don't think really matters that much. It's not like we had enough production in play to get it more doses out earlier. But 
Also, it kind of seems like sneaky bullshit. I'd rather that not happen because it sets a bad precedent in the future, even if it didn't actually have any effects on vaccine in this timeline. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, another corollary, willingness to believe something will change along with willingness to affiliate with people who are known for believing it. I.e., some people may be reluctant to believe that God does not exist, not because there is evidence that God does exist, but rather because they're reluctant to affiliate with Richard Dawkins. Which, yeah. It doesn't relevant anymore, unfortunately, but man, I did really hate when the whole new, the skeptic new atheist movement was happening and people were like, the atheists are so shrill, though. <laughs> right. I, I had a lot of, that was my heyday of internet time, which I'm glad I got all on it in my system No, I'm saying I'm ago. sad that this isn't relevant anymore. Oh, sure. You mean, yeah, well, as, I mean, the relevant. Richard Dawkins part isn't relevant, but it's even more relevant now that people are like, well, if this person believes something, it must be evil. Yeah. I, I would I would actually say the internet has gotten dumber, not not smarter. Significantly. You're more likely to see that form of argument, although it's not about atheists and Richard Dawkins. Yeah, it's about everything now. Yeah. But yeah, that happens all the time. Uh, another corollary, if your current computer stops working, you can't conclude that everything about the current system is wrong. It just, yeah. Yeah. And finally, if a hundred inventors fail to build flying machines using metal and wood and canvas, it doesn't imply that what you really need is a flying machine of bone and flesh. If a thousand projects fail to build artificial intelligence using electricity-based computing, that doesn't mean electricity is the source of the problem. Until you understand the problem, hopeful reversals are exceedingly unlikely to hit the solution. Because, you know, we got to bring it back to AI in the end. I like that last line, though, because that, that succinctly summarizes the point, too. Like, until you understand the problem, hopeful reversals are exceedingly unlikely to hit the solution. Yeah. Like, you can't present me with a, with a confusing problem and then then a solution, a proposed solution, and I'm like, mm, let's just flip that on its head and see if that gets us yeah. closer to the, to the, to the right answer, because it probably definitely won't. Yeah. yeah. This is one thing you learn from programming is, is like, well, I'm doing it wrong, but if I did everything the opposite, now it would definitely be wrong also. <laughs> but it'd be more wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this remind, it also reminds me how, how common it is in science fiction for androids to have positronic brains. Okay. <laughs> and it's just, it's funny because it's like, positrons being the opposite of electrons it's like well it's gonna it's gonna magically work better because it's positrons is that why i don't know i just it's just funny to me because it's like why why would positrons make for better computing like like this but i I don't know whatever it sounds cool it's really the point of it honestly i think wasn't it star trek that started positonic brain or was that pre-star trek i i feel like it's pre-star trek but i can't substantiate that I just, because in Star Trek, they had a literal technobabble department where they were just like <laughs> techno sounding words. And so someone probably pulled positronic out of the hat. And I was like, yeah, let's go with that one. I want that job. <laughs> All right. Positronic brain. Uh, is a positronic brain possible? Interesting. <laughs> why, why would you want one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, originally conceived by Isaac Asimov. Okay. okay. Way back in 1939. The positron was a newly discovered particle at that time. So the buzzword positronic added a scientific connotation to the concept in his 1942 story, Runaround. It's like the quantum of the time, I guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Neat. That would be a quantum brain. It's kind of cool that they, uh, you know, took Isaac Asimov's old term. Yeah. Although I guess maybe they didn't even know it was Asimov at that time. It was yeah. widespread enough. Anyways, that uh, that's all I had from that post. Did you guys have anything in addition? This is pretty succinct, actually. Yeah, I feel like it makes the point it wants to make pretty quick. Yeah. It's one of those less wrong posts where the first time you read it, you're like, yes, thank you. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what's good about the sequences. Yeah. 
All right. Well, for next time, our two sequence posts are, that we're going to talk about are going to be Argument Screens Off Authority and Hug the Queer. Let's smush. Matt, before we sign off, first of all, I wanted to say thank you very much for joining us. That's awesome. You help a lot. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah, can you imagine us trying to cover this shit without this technical expertise helping us out? We we fumble everywhere. I'm, I... If people like could tell when I was talking, like if they could just see like the audio, they probably just hit skip. <laughs> that, you know, that, I, that that'd be my my level of contribution. For so. patrons only, I'll put out a special episode with all of students' stuff cut out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that honestly could be like the perk of the show, or, like the perk of the patron. But I want an episode that's only just what Steven said. Oh, oh man, yeah. that's the punishment for not being a patron. <laughs> 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 nice. None of those things are actually going to happen, but uh, we would like to say thank you again. And is there anything you would like to plug or mention before we go? Uh, just something related to the Guild of the Rose, the the rationalist organization that that I've started with a handful of other like-minded people. Is um, we, we've uh, we've sort of soft launched a new, um, I guess, service or, or product that I've been working on, honestly, for several years. What it is is a um, a magic flashcard uh, system, and right now it has modules that will teach you. Uh, mental arithmetic so it takes you from whatever level you're at to being able to do um, complex arithmetic operations in in your head Um, it has uh, a module for um, learning organic chemistry uh, naming conventions which is something that i had a really hard time with in college and thus swore vengeance against (laughs) and it has a module for for basic probability theory which will be extended as we continue to develop the probability module with um within the guild uh, and, and then in the future, we're going to be incorporating new modules for different guild courses if there's something that kind of lends itself toward um, toward this sort of structured learning. So you can think of it as something similar to Anki, but not really competing with Anki because Anki is more about memorizing specific associations, whereas um, Gnosis, which is the name of the product or the 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 concept is um it has it has the the structure of of the knowledge built into it intrinsically and it keeps track of what you know and what you don't know specifically um and and it and it walks you through the process of learning and, and mastering the material um we should is this a phone app or it's so it's a web app so okay. it, as long as you can sign into the guild of the rose website you can use it and it should work on your phone or on your browser equally well um how many do i have to pay money i i I believe you have to have be be uh, like the the at least the low the lowest level tier. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, you can now um, uh, sign up to the guild without even touching Patreon. You can do it entirely via the Guild of the Rose website. Oh. It, it uses a Stripe backend, so it's we're, we're we wanted to get away from Patreon. It's just so cumbersome and, and asking people to go to a different website and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, um, if if you're interested in that, um, you can check that out. And, that sounds awesome. Yeah, um, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the page on go to the rose website you know steven actually helped me um uh get get familiar enough with web hosting a, a couple of years ago that i was able to take this from being like a, a program that i was developing you know privately to um being something that was that was a web app and uh so thank you steven for that i appreciate that awesome i wish we put more time i wish i'd put more time into doing stuff we worked on it like with fervor for like two weeks then Two years went by, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." Well, you got me off the ground in a really meaningful way. So, well, I'm yeah. super happy to have contributed in any way. Um, yeah, this is great. Two bucks a month. Let's join the join the guild. Um, the only thing I'd recommend mm-hmm. is maybe could put put a couple pictures of what the app looks like on here. It's a good idea. Yeah, we'll do that. But 
I'm going to join now. Also, for listeners, uh, we are trying out a new microphone. In the first half of the show, Jace had it on. In the second half, Stephen had it on. If you notice a difference, let us know. Uh, if you don't notice a difference, maybe also let someone know, especially if you're on the Discord, because we are interested in that feedback. Or you can email us or leave a uh, comment on our website, which is all very helpful. So thanks for that. Oh, also, we have a Patreon linked in the show notes. Let's hope the AI does not eat our, our atoms. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. And uh, we'll smush with you again in two weeks. I'm so glad that is the note we're ending on. Thank you.